Hi everyone, it's Adam here. No new Win and Six just yet. We will have a new episode coming up in a few days. But in the meantime, we wanted to kind of give you a couple of bonus things that uh, Jordan and I have been involved with together recently that might help to tie you over. Uh, the first of those I'll mention is a video in our friend David Dunn's exceptional YouTube series on not just books uniform history, but uniform history around the NBA. Volume 4 that he's just posted, I quote tweeted a link to the video on our Twitter account earlier today. That includes kind of a mini podcast with David Dunn, myself and Jordan on our opinions on the various elements of books uniforms over the years. Um, at least the first part of that, there will be more to come it seems. So, well worth checking out generally, but if you're kind of missing Jordan and I talking nonsense about book stuff, that's certainly a place to start. Secondly though, what I'm going to do is we're going to put up an episode here that you're likely now listening to that is something of a bonus. As many of you will know, I host a movie podcast along with former Win and Six guest Andrew Snyder called Captured in Celluloid. And on our most recent episode, Jordan joined us for a conversation about baseball movies. We went really in-depth. We talked about, I guess, the various elements and themes that are core to baseball movies, why they're, they're so popular over the years. And we also gave our opinions on a wide variety of, of individual films too. Next week on Captured in Celluloid, we're also going to do the equivalent episode for basketball. Uh, Jordan won't be joining me, but another uh, books figure, we'll say, will be joining Andrew and I, and someone that longtime Win and Six listeners will also be very familiar with. So I'll probably post that here too. So in the meantime, make sure to listen to those, check them out. Jordan and I will work on getting a regular Win and Six episode out for you within the next couple of days. Stay safe, everyone. You're listening to Captured in Satellite. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And on this episode, we are going to talk baseball. I know nothing about baseball. Andrew knows close to everything about baseball. And we've enlisted another guest and a familiar voice. The first returning guest we've had on the podcast. And it's someone who also knows about baseball, just so that it's not totally kind of the two extremes. And that is... My good friend, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, welcome back. Thank you. I'm the middle reliever. I'm, I'll <laughs> fill in some innings here and there. Got my, I'm stretching out right now. Some long ball toss. Those are baseball terms. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I don't know what any of them mean. I know they're baseball terms. I don't know what 99.9% of them mean, and that's why you're here, so Andrew can have someone to banter about baseball with. You know, Jordan does great work in the sixth and seventh inning. I'm I'm sure with another good season under his belt, he's going to get that long-term contract as a closer one of these days. So I, I have full faith in you, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, this episode is going to be a little bit different because normally I'm the 
I'm the man at the controls. I'm the one who drives this this ship forward or sometimes sideways or sometimes, you know, way off course. But on this occasion, I'm moving over to the passenger seat because this is Andrew's baby. This is Andrew's idea originally. This is the sport that Andrew loves most deeply. Although, you know, he, he just loves sports. I think it's fair to say. I've, now that I think of that, there are at different times I've known you, there would have been probably three other things that could have competed for that. But baseball is deep inside you. Am I right in saying that? That's extremely fair. You're, you're right. I do love all sports. The reason the three of us even know each other is because we all love basketball. But from a molecular level, starting with my childhood, baseball is really ingrained deep inside my soul. And I guess, uh, I guess I should kind of set the scene for us here, Adam. Uh, so today originally was supposed to be major league baseball's opening day but due to due to covid-19 taking over our our entire lives that is not to be so i thought there's there's no better way to get over my my longing for baseball than to force an irishman to watch countless baseball movies until he possibly goes insane so that's the genesis for this idea here. Just to give you a little background about me and why I love baseball and baseball movies so much, from the age of probably six or seven until I graduated high school, getting close to 10 years ago now, I'm very old, I spent most of my waking hours pretty much just thinking about when's the next time I'm going to play baseball, when's the next time I'm going to watch baseball. Played a lot of baseball pretty much year-round, as long as it wasn't below freezing outside. I was in some sort of baseball league. So that naturally drew me to seek out baseball fandom. I'm a massive Atlanta Braves fan. You can't see me right now, but I'm wearing an Atlanta Braves jersey. Uh, I wore it during work meetings today on on Zoom so that people could see that I'm celebrating opening day, even, even, it, even though it's called an opening day today. Nailed that. Anyway, so do you know... You hit that one out of the park, Andrew. Oh, Adam's getting it. Adam's getting the hang of it already. So that that deep love of baseball in general has made me have maybe a little bit of a blind spot towards the baseball movie genre because there are a lot of them and there's a wide variety of subgenres and there's also a wide variety of quality between these types of movies. I mean, if we wanted to to discuss every baseball movie that's ever existed, uh, this podcast would be 24 hours long and we'd all uh, look like zombies on The Walking Dead. So we won't do that. What we'll do here is we'll generally talk about our relationship with baseball and baseball movies. And then I've crudely grouped some of the films that we watched together into various subgenres. We'll see how they share themes, how more some are more successful and more effective than others. And then we'll just kind of dig in from there to some of the individual movies. But... I'll start with our guest and and the birthday boy today, Jordan Tresky. Birthday boy. Fans shower him with love on the t- on the Twitter machine. So, yeah, I've I've filled you in on my baseball obsessed life. Jordan, what is your relationship with the game of baseball and baseball movies? I would say it's similar to yours. I played baseball when I was a youngin to a youngster, I graduated from that to a teenager and then uh, like along the way you see all these movies that are classic baseball movies not whoa, just classic whoa, whoa, baseball whoa, movies whoa, 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 whoa. 
Okay, we're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna jump in because I, I want to get to the baseball movies part of it. But I need some. I'm learning. I'm learning the game, right? I'm trying to understand. So I know you are a formidable presence in the low post as a basketball <laughs> player, Jordan. But what what was your position in baseball? I need to know a little bit more about Jordan, the baseball player, and actually also about Andrew, the baseball player. I want to know about both of you as baseball players. Why well, was a big kid at heart and physically too? Um, <laughs> I played normally first base, either kind of corner outfield or so left or right field. I did pitch some in some grades, had a little bit of fastball, circle chains. That's a little, that's a little out of, that's not your normal off speed pitch, let's just say. Uh, that was basically it. I could hit pretty well, I wasn't fast at all. Um, but yeah, that was, that was where I played. You're a Jeremy Giambi sort. No, you're, th- you might be thinking, oh, actually Jeremy Giambi might be right. Jason Giambi think- before, before medical enhancements uh, intervened. <laughs> I think they're, are they both first base on? I think, G- that- I think Jeremy was an outfielder, but he also wasn't, oh, okay. he also wasn't fast, which is obviously a big part in Moneyball. We'll get, we'll get to that. Andrew, what were you? So I was primarily a shortstop, but I could play all over the infield, third base, shortstop, second base, primarily. Throw me in the outfield. I don't love it out there. Uh, I might lose a ball in the sun, get hit in the face. Uh, but, you know, I considered myself a utility guy. If if you're really going to hone in on what I was, I was maybe a Denny Ryan or an Eddie O'Brien. Uh, interchangeably, Ooh. one of those two guys. So... We'll get into that I've, later, but I've just googled shortstop, so I know I know what that is now. The, the thing with this that I find interesting compared to maybe any other sport, like for example, I've never played what I would call American football. There, there are places you could play that here. Very few of them, but there are a few clubs. Um, but I've never played. I don't really have an idea of where, where, what position I could have played. If that was something, if I grew up and that was something I did. Although I feel like there's parts that I could piece together. I could go, what am I? I have no, I have no idea for baseball. I mean, I played cricket very, very briefly, and I could, I could hit, and I could catch. So is hurling is hurling close? Uh, no. I mean, there's the element there's, of yeah, the, the... hand-eye coordination that if you're a great hurler, sure, you, you'd be pretty comfortable with a bat. Yeah. But, I mean, a big part of hurling is it is, like, <laughs> the most brutal sport in the world. That's true. Um, and it, you're moving at... It's literally the fastest field sport in the world, and you're moving at speed and getting, like... I, I, you've never felt a hurl. You know what a baseball bat's like, though. Imagine, like, while you're trying to run and hit the ball with your bat if someone else is coming down and like slamming a bat down your arm that's hurling yeah i guess i guess of, the cro- closest would be games. Like, like lacrosse in that sense uh, i guess closest in terms of some resemblance sure yeah. but yeah there's a coordination element i was not a hurler um my part of the country not really kind of hurling stronghold so it's I find it interesting to think. Now I've got a sense. Like, okay, Andrew was a shortstop, and I know what that is because I just googled it. And okay, Jordan could be first base. I'm starting. I'm getting a. I'm getting a feel for this. I still have no idea what I would be, but I'm getting a feel for this. So Jordan, I interrupted you. You can now talk about your movie relationship with baseball movies. 
Um, I think it was. I'm trying to think of the movies at the time. I mean, there's a lot of kids' movies. I mean, even like Rookie of the Year, Sandlot, of course. That's that's a big one. Um, Feel the Dreams. I mean, they're all the the kind of the golden age of baseball movies were already made by the time I was born and kind of grew up into watching. So they're kind of, I don't know, baked into the whole baseball movie culture, I would say, obviously. And what what is that? Because that's a question I was actually going to ask both of you. Again, this is, there will probably be a, a, quite a few elements of this, of me as the outsider. Um, like this might be the biggest kind of blind spot I have in terms of American culture. Generally, I don't, I don't know if there's another area where I'm just like as oblivious to what's going on. I have dabbled at least in every other major American sport. I've got a pretty extensive knowledge of American pop culture. I feel this is the one that I have a real blind spot for. But do you think beyond there could be an obvious movie reason that I could kind of put forward and just the kind of nature of Hollywood and the kind of movies that got made at that time? But what really seems to be striking here. I'm not going to say necessarily the golden era in terms of quality, but certainly the golden era in terms of these movies being pumped out comes 80s, really? Some into the 90s, some late 70s. But is there any kind of baseball reason or any cultural reason that either of you would identify for that being the time? Like, was I know baseball, its popularity has dwindled over the years relative to the other big sports, but is it that it was in a much more commanding position kind of in the general mindset then, or is this kind of just a slightly unusual quirk that maybe it's always been a a sport that I guess has been imagined as something that lends itself to cinema better? I think it's a pretty cinematic game when, when you really think about the nuts and bolts of it. I mean, it's, it's nine guys on a field, one guy in the middle of that field, hurling a projectile at another guy and his job is to hit it. And it's it, there's just all this wide open space of green and uh, dirt, uh, a giant green wall in many cases, people filling the stands. So on a on a grand scale, like I think baseball just lends itself well to filmmaking from that standpoint. And some of these movies that we'll talk about, that is the case. Others, not so much. It's also delves into something that we'll talk about a little later, and it's the the cultural sense that baseball represents a like a old school slice of Americana. It's something that's truly America's game. And the that pastime, may not, if you will. Exactly. America's <laughs> national pastime. And I think there's a misguided view that it represents a, a better time or a time filled with innocence when that's not necessarily true. But I think that is one reason from a narrative standpoint, people just keep going back to it. Do you think that's tied to the 80s of it all? I mean, I guess the 80s is an interesting decade. You've obviously got the Reagan presidency and a lot of the, I guess, the kind of bigger issues that come about during that period. But it's also kind of notably you're a decade removed from Vietnam. And I guess things that come later, you're you're in this, you're maybe in this strange sweet spot where I guess the world is changing and it's changing at a, a significant enough speed that maybe there is a, 
a yearning for that kind of idealized American vision. Am I like, am I just reaching here? This again is me trying to kind of situate this just because the, the 80s of it all is really important, particularly with a lot of the movies we're going to talk about just because it's it's just there and it's kind of you can't separate it from also the tone of these movies for better or worse. And I don't know if some of the things that I'm not going to like about these movies is really as much about baseball movies as it was. I guess a kind of a kind of ideology or even a kind of sentiment that existed in America in the 80s, if that makes any sense. It just it seems this very specific time and it is in some ways I mean there's no time where nothing is happening historically there there were plenty of major events happening and good and bad in America at that time but do you do you know what I mean in terms of being this kind of in between period but also a time of transition Yeah I, I, I go ahead sorry Jordan No I I I was going to say I think certainly the fact that baseball culturally has been kind of relegated to the third most popular sport or at least you know obviously it was the best the sport everywhere in america and now it's you know dwindled every year since then and i think just because of the trajectory of like just how the sport was after like the player strike in 1994 and the the game itself has kind of been it's baked into why it, like the the 1980s are the golden age of it but it's it in terms of like those the movies that we will go into obviously but like Comparing like the natural and field of dreams, like these mythical, mystical kind of based, or they they tackle with those themes, and comparing it with like Moneyball, like those are two totally different movies, but they're centered around baseball and tell a different story all the same. And it's I, I don't know I don't know how what I'm exactly getting at to this point, but like it kind of just shows you the kind of I guess the differences in terms of how like baseball is thought of back you know 30 years ago to now no i think you're you're spot on there this is actually a perfect jumping off point to to get into one of our our sub that we divided what we watched into but before we do that i want to kind of run down a list of some other favorites that i have if you're if you're looking to be a completist and survive the absence of baseball with baseball movies uh this is sort of my hit list so we didn't get to all these in our rewatch. I got to some of them. Uh, Adam and Jordan didn't get to others. One that I want to recommend is 61, which was an HBO movie directed by Billy Crystal, which uh, detailed the 1961 home run, home run chase between Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle as they were trying to break Babe Ruth's record. Uh, I'm correct in saying uh, you guys have not seen this one. Is that right? I have not. I have not either. Rewatched it this week. It doesn't hold up to my young memory, but it's, a, I think, a really true to that season story and some of the trials and, and the tribulations both men uh, went through and the scrutiny that they were facing from the New York media as they were literally trying to take down a legend's record. Uh, great performances from uh, Barry Pepper and Thomas Jane, who I think really captured the spirit of who Maris and Mantle were. So that's one that I think is great. A League of Their Own uh, obviously is another classic uh, directed by Penny Marshall starring Tom Hanks and Gina Davis, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, among others. Uh, a story about a, a women's baseball league uh, during wartime. 
Eight Men Out, story about the Black Sox scandal, so the, the 1919 World Series. Uh, it's worth so doing. That, that is the Field of Dreams thing, right? Correct. So that'll tie into Field of Dreams. It's, um, yeah, the 1919 Black Sox who were accused of fixing the World Series. And um, some players were more culpable than others. And Shoeless Joe Jackson, who is, I think, uh, who you were referring to, there is someone that was there's kind of a a shadow over whether or not he was actually involved in the the fixing scheme so some people have kind of held him up as as someone that got really screwed over by that whole situation it's a not a great movie but it's an interesting story it's got a a a good cast uh charlie sheen david straight heron is that how you pronounce his name? I don't know, among others. Definitely worth watching. Moving on from that, I'll kind of hit some hit quick on some of the uh, the the uh, child movies. So the movies for kids. Uh, Jordan, you mentioned Rookie of the Year, which is, I think, a staple of any kid that's played T-ball. They've watched that movie. Little Big League. Oh, yeah. The Sandlot. So there's a lot of, actually, movies that I find still incredibly entertaining that are not made for adults. I would not have subjected Adam to those during <laughs> this process because I already subjected him to enough. But especially if you got kids and you want to watch something that is for kids, but an adult can enjoy any of those would be good. And then last but last, not least in my honorable mention, uh, a movie that we just couldn't quite squeeze into this situation that made sense is a uh, Pelotero ball player, which details kind of the the shady underbelly of Major League Baseball's international scouting system and how some players, in this case, Miguel Sano, can get manipulated by by agents and scouts and underpaid for what their value is. But I've gone on an honorable mention soliloquy enough. I Uh, think... Just, just to, because I haven't even said this to you, but Jordan and I were talking. Jordan, have you got any to add to that? Because I know you were asking about documentaries, and you, you said there is there anything that we haven't mentioned or that would come to mind for you? I think I mean there's a, a lot of thirty for thirties that are really good baseball uh, centric ones. I know like Catching Hell that that's about Steve Bartman and just how not necessarily about baseball. Obviously, it, it based in the game, but it it's just how crazy everything was. Um, Screwball is a documentary on Netflix that again, kind of the shadiness is it revolves around the Balco scandal, Alex Rodriguez, Milwaukee Brewer, Ryan Prawn is featured a little bit in there. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I said a couple more that to you privately that I can't think of right now. Um, but there's Fired just bastards of baseball was one. Oh, yeah, that's another one. Kurt Russell's Kurt Russell's is Kurt Russell's dad owned this like minor league, um team in Portland can't recall the nickname but that's a really good documentary I know there's some good baseball like Brockmar is a funny show that kind of another minor league baseball type thing that's the other thing too that is it kind of another I know this is tangent off of it but the kind of you know major league touches on this too but like the the band of misfits and trying to win a major whether it's major league baseball or minor league baseball like it's again another just vehicle to tell interesting story and about how you know that's another way of doing it anyway that's enough for me <laughs> it's not it's not we'll get back to that i have thoughts on that kind of element of it later so we'll get back to that topic with a couple of films i think we'll talk about 
Yeah, good shout on Battered Bastards of Baseball. That's probably uh, might be my favorite baseball documentary just because it's such a unique story. Jumping off from that, Adam, we, we had the discussion about why in particular some of these baseball movies have an obsession with tying baseball back to a nostalgic era. Like you said, some of these directors in the, the 80s and the writers and the actors making these movies were children of the 50s and 60s when baseball truly was America's pastime. And we're now making movies in an era where that wasn't quite the same thing anymore as we see football, the NBA, and that sort of thing kind of overtaking baseball in the nation's consciousness in in terms of uh, sports. Do you think that the reason that for this boom in the 80s, we'll call it, is kind of a longing for these people to be back in an era when baseball was on top? And a follow-up from that as someone that's not from this country, did not grow up playing baseball like me and Jordan, what what is your view on the whole kind of vibe that that presents? Uh, it baffles me. It's completely alien to me. There's one of these films we'll talk... We'll, I'll, I'll mention what the film is because we'll be talking about it momentarily. But uh, I found Field of Dreams to be unbelievably, surprisingly to me, inaccessible. Just... Like, incoherent. This is like a studio movie, this hallowed kind of movie. And I was like 15 minutes in, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, what? What is going on here? And honestly, that that kind of sense didn't dissipate because part of it was... I think that's a movie It just takes a lot of leaps into things that are so kind of like... They're just kind of intrinsically American. They're there in the culture. They're there in the kind of the fibers of being of everyone around you. That it it locks into this particular mood and tone that is very 80s as well. So, I mean, that's one where it's so syrupy. It's so saccharine. And I just, not my sort of thing at all. Like, what sort of fantasy world is this we're living in? But beyond that, even, it's like... I don't know, maybe maybe this is, maybe I just missed something, but I wasn't expecting any of these movies. It's, it's very rare I see any movie from anywhere in the world, and I'm like, I just can't, I can't get this. I can't even connect to it. I can't get into what I'm supposed to get here. There are obviously very obvious and major themes in the movie that I could identify, but there's an overall feeling with just how it takes things even a shorthand, like, like that... Um, what was it? Was it 1919, 1918, did you say, the the Black Sox yep. nature of it? 1919. Like, how well known is that? Like, generally, and not to not to baseball, is, is that something that there would be some sort of even vague level of awareness? Because the movie, to me, just kind of like, like, we're 15 minutes in, and it's gone from a field to, like, a baseball field, and then this guy shows up, and it's, there's, like, no questions asked from anyone. It's insane! I think you'd have to be a baseball fan to have any recollection of that. Uh, but judging by the fact that it was on an episode of Drunk History recently, and they try and cover things that we may not know about, so it, it's not common moviegoer knowledge, even in the eighties, I would think. Do you find that movie? This goes to both of you, and I mean, I'd be curious. Also, I mean, like it's an iconic American movie. You may have watched it with friends or family at some point in your lifetime. And that may have included people who aren't necessarily big baseball fans. Is is it just me? Or do like the first 15 minutes of that movie 
I don't want to say move at a blistering pace because it, it's it's not blistering at all. The, the whole vibe is like intentionally, this is like, we're all chilled out here. Like this couldn't be any more laid back. Kevin Custer's doing his best. I'm just, I'm so laid back and all of my emotions are suppressed. So I couldn't be anything but this laid back, even though under the surface, you know, my legs might be kicking in the water here. But is there is there an element to that that for non-baseball fans are like, does it make sense? Is really what I'm asking. I just, I, I no, message Andrew no, at that point. <laughs> like, I'm not, but this is, this is like an acclaimed, a critically acclaimed movie too. And I was just watching and I'm like, I don't, I don't get this at all. Like, the, you sound, it's you a, sound like a real Timothy Busfield right now. I gotta tell you something. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> the guy, that's, that's the guy who's pleading with Ray to sell the farm and just generally oh yeah they got the red hair Um, (laughs) like even that element i can't believe that we're only a little bit in and i'm really ranting and i'm ranting about field of dreams i haven't even got to the details of it but like what is going on why why can't he see it and other people can and it's just kind of like it's i can't think of many movies that like just dive deep into some sort of fantastical element although we'll talk about another in a minute that has a touch of this i was yeah and like i just don't get it and to me that is very much tied to something of like there is an element to these movies the the more traditional i guess the more generic i don't even necessarily mean that for for better or worse i think for me it certainly goes one way but I mean, like anything, there's generic norms what a baseball movie is. And I think some of these are certainly key in defining that. But there's this there's this sentimentality and this wholesomeness. And I think it's also tied to, like, you get these speeches about what the game of baseball means to America. And you get imagery with the flag. Um, and it's all kind of, it's tied in in a certain way that it's trying to speak to, I guess, what... American values, what American tradition mean to the individual, mean to the family unit, like all these things are really tightly packed there. And in Field of Dreams, I just find there's like, there's all of this, there's all this, which is like, in a lot of ways, it's subtext for all of it, but it it just never, it never comes to make sense either. I just, it doesn't come together, even the way the movie ultimately finishes, like... I the thing that's important about this is I'm coming at this as movies. In all these cases, I'm just like, okay, I sat down and I watched the movie. What was it? Baseball happens to be our team here, but for me, they were movies because my relationship to baseball isn't isn't advanced in any level. Some of these things I know about, some of them I don't. But when I watched that movie, I just even thinking back on, I'm like, okay, sure, there's a good movie there. There's a there's an interesting movie in there, but if you if it's really about costner and it's about grief and it's about his relationship to his father and it's about all these elements like maybe give us like 20 minutes rather than 10 to get a sense of who he is at the start to get a sense of what the family situation is what the dynamics to basically set all the pieces in place instead of that it's just like oh like uh the daughter's like oh there's there's people outside you know and yeah one of you was whispering but like that's like 90 seconds into the movie. It's insane. Adam, not, right, to, cut else can come in now. not to cut across you, but I'll just go ahead and give the tagline of the movie because when you even just hear this, you know that there's a high degree of difficulty and the movie can turn into a disaster really quickly. I will say that somehow 
this movie was nominated for Best Original Score, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Picture at uh, the 1990, I guess it would have been, Oscars. So there's that. Wow. But essentially, a down-on-his-luck farmer uh, builds a baseball field in his cornfield and goes to baseball players from the past, <laughs> Shoeless Joe Jackson included, uh, start you know playing daily inter-squad scrimmages. And that's, that's about it. And he randomly goes to Boston to track down an old writer and uh, an old doctor who was a never never made it big leaguer kind of situation so it's it's kind of baffling just from a plot standpoint just knowing it's even just i'm sorry i'm really sorry but (laughs) it starts right and the the whatever the corn starts whispering to him if like and he hears stuff and then it's just he goes ahead and builds this like if I had a no nickel, other reasoning, if I had a no nickel, other purpose. Go on, if you had a nickel. If I had a nickel for every time I knew a farmer to trim down their cornfield to build a baseball field, I'd be, you know, I'd have 15 cents. You know. There's even that joke in it where Coster's like talking to another farmer and he's like, basically, do the fields talk to you too? And they're like, no. And he's like, oh, I thought they talk to everyone. It's like... I I honestly, it's I, I don't know why he builds it. You know, if voices in your head tell you to do something, don't just do it. This applies for everyone. A good general rule in life. And throughout the movie, a lot of people in his life are being like, what the fuck are you doing? And those people are the true heroes of this movie. Because there's a different reading of this movie where it's a family's descent into madness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just kidding. But I'll I'll branch off by saying I I told you Adam that I'm over, able to overlook a lot of uh, issues in some of these movies because of my love for baseball. This is one where I've never been aligned with the general public on that, so I, I will say that I'm not <laughs> I don't feel quite as strongly as you do about this, but it's I don't it's not even that I just dislike it though Andrew it's I like just it's completely incomprehensible to me I don't know what is I don't know what it is. I, this honestly, I look. Anyone listening knows this one. I see so many movies. I see so many movies from places I've never been to, places I could never even dream of being to in different languages. And I, I can't think of many films that I've sat down and been like, "Just what is this?" Like, it's just it's like another language to me entirely without subtitles. And the visuals, I'm like, "What is what is this?" Ray Liotta, what? Oh, he's he... he's throwing a hundred miles an hour. Oh my <laughs> god! But that performance, except is... for the fact that he can't throw and catch a baseball, that's the issue. Yeah, he that looks is true. he looks so like uncomfortable. Does he swing at one point? And I'm like, that is not how someone swings. He's like, also right-handed, and Shoeless Joe is left-handed. But I'm gonna let that slide. That's it. <laughs> but his his performance also meshes with Costner's, where like every performance in this, except the guy that you compared me to, the guy with the red hair, thirty something, <laughs> they're all they're all really muted. Like there is no there's no like color to the performance, or there's no dynamics to this movie, and that's really strange. It's just like this one note, one pace, and it's like, okay, I think it's trying to reassure me about something. It's trying to tell me something, but I'm not the audience for this. Now, I I understand where it's looking to go, and I understand what the movie's overall theme is in regard to his relationship with his father. I just think, as a movie, 
it doesn't do any of the work to get there. Like, none of it. It's just like, okay, he's, yeah, sure, he's building the field, and yeah. I just, yeah, it's a, it was a very, this was the first movie I watched, because, like, this is a movie that I just should have seen anyway, because it's one that people talk about. It's a canonical movie. It's Field of Dreams. This was a nominee for AFI's, like, 100 Years or 100 yeah, it's, Movies. It's, it, it was only a nominee, thankfully, but that's, not, even that is insane. But it was selected for preservation for the National Film Registry. That, that's fine. I'm cool with that. Preserve <laughs> all the films. You know, that's just, this is my attitude. I have no problem with it being preserved. But, like, even... Okay, so it made a- AFI's... Uh, the AFI list is problematic. I'm not... It's not something you necessarily need to go on and be like, oh, you know, it's it's pretty... Yeah, okay. But they have their subgenres that they did for the, the 100 years, I feel like. And this one lands in fantasy. Which, yeah, it's a fantasy movie. And why is it a fantasy? And you've got to explain some stuff. You've got to make it coherent. The fantasy movie's above it. The Wizard of Oz... Uh, Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring, which is like good movie, great good movie, but different kinds of fancy we're talking about. Mm. It's a Wonderful Life, a tree, which okay, yeah, number three, It's a Wonderful Life. King Kong, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, F- Field of Dreams, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street shouldn't be fifth either. Um, Harvey is seven, Groundhog Day is eight, Tifa Baghdad and Big. Big. Big is interesting to me. Well, I mean, Big isn't documentary, Jordan. You know, it's what? That's never it's been not social, social realism. Um, <laughs> Big is interesting to me though because we're in a similar time period, and um, with movies that, and that's another movie that to me is like, it's it's entirely American. It c- it could only be American. The energy to that movie, and um, the heart to that movie. Is thirteen? Is thirteen going on thirty on there? No, they stopped at ten, Jordan. Oh. That's next episode, Jordan. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but you get what I'm saying with that, where it's like, I don't, I, I, this is one of the more difficult movies I've ever, let alone on the podcast, had any conversation with anyone about, because I'm very much aware that everyone listening could think I'm insane and be like, what does he not get? But I, I do feel the need just to make the point that, like. I do not get this. And it's like, in a very extreme way, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Listen, there's one thing I will say. You're going to roast me for this. I don't think Costner's bad in this movie. I don't think he's bad. He's just not doing anything. Like, a... There's nothing for him to do. He saved his daughter would... from the hot dog. Well, Archibald Graham did that. That scene. But... That scene. What is, what is that scene? She falls off a stand. She, they, they're all looking at her. Oh, she's dead, I guess. Oh, I mean, she'll be on the field in a minute. This is basically what's playing out. And then someone's like, oh no, it's a hot dog. There's a hot dog in her. What? And then there's something happens directly after that that really annoyed me, and I now can't remember. But I was like, this is this is. Oh just no, it's 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 that, one of the cheesiest moments in it. Is it that he Moonlight Graham turns into Burt Lancaster, older Moonlight Graham? Yeah, it's something like that. Look. It's... The other, I, I do have one other issue, one more. This is on the, the level that I could relate to it. So his name, he's in, he introduces himself as his grandfather was Irish. And, you know, oh, he starts with this. And yet he says his name wrong. He says his name wrong. You can't be like, oh, I'm Irish. And 
I think he says Kinsella, which it's it's Kinsler, just you know, just so everyone knows his name is Ray Kinsler and he can't say his own name. I don't know at what point in his family's history they were just like we forgot we forgot how we're supposed to say our name. So we'll just say it this way now. But that was deeply distressing to me. Saoirse Ronan. I, that, <laughs> that's okay. How was that? I, I, it's not even that. My point is, your own family name, for a family name to be like, for you to be pronouncing it wrong, like at what point did someone just forget how to say it? How does that happen? Come on. Crazy. Adam, crazy, there, crazy. there are movies on this list that, as you criticize, I might have backup. I might punch back a little bit while still acknowledging that your opinions and your feelings are valid. This is one that I can't even fight back on because I agree with you. For me, it's the overwrought sincerity and the notion that that baseball is some sort of saving grace that doesn't hold water with me because that's not necessarily why I love baseball. Well, we can get into why I love baseball later, but like the James Earl Jones speech at the towards the end of the movie about build it, people will come, Ray, and they won't even know why, and blah, 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 blah. And that's You're right, they won't know why. That's an iconic speech, and it's just, I, I don't know. By the, it, man, it by the man who voiced Darth Vader, of all people. Correct. It's Can I give, there's, on the Wikipedia page, there's a line from Peter Travers' Rolling Stone review. I don't know if you've seen this, uh, but... It, it was the speech, and this was one of the first times I, I kind of spoke to, that I like my, my eyes rolled all the way back in my head that I'm surprised I can see out the front still. like But he had pinpointed this element in his review, and one of the few kind of notable critics to really just pan this movie at the time. But to quote Peter Travers of Rolling Stone, to be honest, I started hearing things too. Just when Jones was delivering an, an inexcusably sappy speech about baseball being a, quote, symbol of all that was once good in America, I heard the words, if he keeps talking, I'm walking. <laughs> That's my relationship to this movie. I read that and I was like, thank you, Peter Travers. I'm not, I'm not feeling quite as crazy anymore. Someone else saw this. Like, Roger Ebert gave this a perfect four stars. This is the kind of movie Frank Capra might have directed and James Stewart, Stewart might have starred in. A movie about dreams. That's his quote. Yeah, if they made and starred in it, it would be coherent. The other movies on that AFI list, Harvey and a Wonderful, It's a Wonderful Life, like, if this was made like It's a Wonderful Life, wouldn't that be a lovely movie? I'd, I'd really enjoy that movie. Unfortunately, it's not. Well... Uh, Craig Calcaterra from NBC Sports, who's a baseball writer there in 2017, he wrote an article titled Field of Dreams is Absolutely Terrible. So if if you're thinking, you know, Adam's being unfair here or, or we're just assholes, read that as well, because he outlines the case pretty strongly there as well. Uh, it's just something that's never really made sense to me. Adam, you seeing it through, through fresh eyes has reinforced that. Uh, so I appreciate your vigorous rant here because uh we don't really talk bad about many movies on this podcast and it's a nice change of pace yeah you decided to do a baseball episode <laughs> i guess that changed well i i get what i deserve i forgot to mention that the subgenre that we've tied this film into I, i've titled loosely nostalgia and americana and i think we've done a, <laughs> a good job in ripping both of those apart 
but we've got one more movie that, that ties into this category, Adam. I mm-hmm. would think that you w- didn't have quite as strong negative feelings about it, but still were not all in. That's uh, the 1984 movie, The Natural, directed by Barry, Barry Levinson, starring Robert Redford, Robert Duvall, Glenn Close, Kim Bassinger, Wilford Brimley, Barbara Hershey comes in for a heat check. Uh, it's got a good cast. It's got music by Randy Newman. It's got a good director. Adam, did you have similar feelings about the overall nostalgia factor with The Natural? Yes, uh, I did. I will say, because I, I want to just break that up a little bit with something that is positive. So, I think this might be behind Raging Bull, the the second best looking sports movie I've ever seen. Caleb Deschanel's cinematography is amazing, and to, if you talk about like trying to capture a certain energy and a look and a mood of what baseball looks like, this movie does that. Redford, uh, we discussed this privately. I mean, this came out in 84. Redford is pretty old to be uh, the professional baseball player he is, and there are certainly moments where that shows. But he is Robert Redford and one of like the most kind of classically Hollywood leading men figures. And he looks, he looks right for the part maybe 10 years earlier. You know, it would be perfect. But the cinematography is mind-blowing. The... The, the way you kind of capture his natural light in some moments is a little bit kind of, um, it's a little bit Magic Hour, Terrence Malicky, and I really, really like that. Randy Newman's score is good. Barry Levinson's direction is good. The screenplay is not good. No. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about even dialogue. I'm just talking about, like, the major beats and the moments the story pivots on couldn't be more cliched, and it is so long like it's so dragged out and again it just has like multiple moments where you're like hold on a minute what what is going on like the lightning stuff in this is just as cheesy if not more cheesy than anything in field of dreams and the fact that this is like for large spells like a perfectly normal serious austere baseball drama and then you've just got like You've got lightning? And... (laughs) Uh, Now, these are all... It has to be this, because I don't think there was another one of these movies I watched with lightning. But just to confirm, because I've watched, like, seven baseball movies in a condensed period of time. This movie ends with the lightning, like, hitting the floodlights and sparks flying from all around the stadium, right? Yes. The the baseball also hits the floodlights. So so it's a combination. Yeah, sure. Okay, all of that stuff. (laughs) Um, that's not a spoiler, is it? It's like <laughs> this movie came out in 1984. It's fine. Yeah, it's not even. I don't like. What am I? I'm, the lightning hits the flood. Like, can't be a spoiler. <laughs> Maybe in the natural, it can. But that scene is. I mean, it leads to the first thing I talked about because it is visually amazing. It looks incredible. Well done, everyone. You got something that looks really good. The problem is, for as much as cinema is a visual medium. It helps to have things that make some sense. And I was just like, this whole stadium's gone on fire. Like, all these Love people the are be- cheering. <laughs> Players are running around as normal. There's literally sparks flying from everywhere. 
everywhere. It's just sparks raining down, and people are like, "Oh, this is this happens every day." Completely insane to me. Aside Adam, from all Adam, the lightning Adam. strikes, I worked in minor league baseball. I've seen worse than that on firework night. Come on now, no, but you're correct. It is a little, it is a little insane and overdone with the sparks. Also. The him getting shot thing and that whole element of the story. Does someone want to even try explain that to me? And do they like? Yeah, sure. Uh, what what purpose that serves? I did a little bit of reading, but I would like someone more qualified to give a give so, an explanation. So where you go, Andrew? So I I have no, done no background research on this, but I will say, just in general. Adam, this is a movie where I acknowledge the flaws that you're bringing to my attention, but still unabashedly love it and enjoy it every time I watch it. Just because of that, I don't know, the the way Robert Redford looks when he's striking out the whammer at the beginning of the movie or hitting a home run in his comeback bid in his late 30s. I just love all that, and it it really... uh, I get a lot of enjoyment out of that, and I get a lot of enjoyment out of Robert Redford just being handsome and present in a room. That being said, my big issue with this movie is why is that the storyline? Why does he have to go to a hotel room with Barbara Hershey and get shot to derail his big league career? Can't he twist his knee in a storm drain during his tryout? Why does it have to be so insane? It makes no sense to me, and it, imagine Moneyball if that was Billy Bean's story. Exactly. Just, yeah. just imagine Moneyball as it is, except 10 minutes in, some woman just randomly <sighs> shoots him. Well, it's not even just that. I mean, he gets poisoned. He Everybody wants to kill him <laughs> in that movie. Every female character, aside from Glenn Close, but I mean, give it maybe 10 more minutes and maybe she would have probably, who knows. Uh, but everybody wants to kill Roy Hobbs. It's weird. <laughs> There's a few things I actually I learned through watching seven baseball movies about baseball. One of these can't possibly be true anymore, but I, I've seen it in multiple movies. I think I've seen it in three different movies, and this was one of them. This note passing thing to the bench from people in the crowd, yeah, that's... and having having kids who like this is like almost their job. Is that a thing? Are there kids who are just like? They're dressed in uniform and they're they just run around like, oh, there's this lady up the back there and she's got a like. What is that about? Is that a thing? Old school minor league baseball. I'm sure it it could have been a thing, but uh, major league baseball hard hard pressed to find something like that existing, especially today with the amount of security around. But yeah. I, it's even present in a movie that you didn't watch that we'll talk about later. So you're, you're right. You're a Costner one, right? Yeah. This is a common trope that's coming up in these baseball movies along with gam- it's the only gam- way they can work romance into them. It seems gambling and shady owners. Uh, the other two themes that we have come through. Female owners is something we're going to come up with. It's mm-hmm. like, I, I, that's well, look, we'll talk about that. Cause there's two movies where that comes up. We'll be discussing later. But that was also jumped out to me. The other thing I learned, which is like this should uh, fully display for people who think like I'll be I know a lot about sports and like widest range of sports. I'm super into sports. Baseball, again, I know nothing. So the guy who stands behind the guy with the bat. The umpire? (laughs) What? Or catcher. Um- or catcher. The catcher. The catcher. I thought it had a 
better name than that. Honestly, I was expecting there was like a proper name, but okay. I could have guessed that. The catcher. Um, I had no idea that the catcher like called the, the pitch. I did not know that was a thing. That's my level of baseball knowledge. And I was like, oh, these catchers are calling the pitches. I don't know why. I don't know what position of advantage they are really in. But uh, I guess this is the thing. Does that make them like a captain or is there supposed to be an advantage from that position? Well, it it sort of depends on the situation. Sometimes the manager, especially in lower levels of baseball and college baseball, will relay a sign to the catcher. Then he'll give you a sign. Sometimes it's the pitcher and catcher working in concert. Now, in the movie we'll talk about later, the catcher obviously was of a more veteran status, so his pitcher should trust him. So it's kind of a give and take. Like, you can shake off a catcher, but if you're a young pitcher, you've got a veteran catcher that's been been around a while, and you've really both together have done your homework and scouting hitters, uh, you're trusting that catcher or you're working together. So but for the most part, yeah, it is, is that is the way it is. That's, and that is actually like, we're now, I, for the most part, when we move off of these two movies, I'm going to, I'm going to be a lot cheerier. I'm not going to be like exactly gushing about all of these, but I'm going to appreciate a lot more. And the details like that, I mean, I think it's incredibly difficult as we could talk about some more detail. Um, and isn't necessarily always beneficial to the movies when you capture a lot of baseball on screen and you put an onus on recreating a lot of baseball. But to me as an outsider, it's like, if I'm going to watch this, this again goes back to like the just the complete incoherence of Field of Dreams. It's like, if baseball's a thing, I want I want you to give me baseball um, in some way. It doesn't have to be that you're showing me lots, but I want I want that connection to really... I don't want it to be a MacGuffin, which is what I feel it is. Like, it's in Field of Dreams. It's like, it's this massive thing. It's everywhere. But it is literally just a MacGuffin. It's a plot device to say something that they don't set up. Where I like when in these movies, I can pick up actual details of baseball. And it doesn't necessarily have to be all about baseball at the same time. I feel like that's doing the job right. That's You're giving authentic details so it can speak to someone hardcore. So that someone else can pick something about it. But you're also not just losing the movie in the baseball. And I guess on the natural, the one thing I will say, like, it's a, it's a good movie. It just should be better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the people, the people working on it behind and in front of the camera, that movie should be a lot better. And I think could be better by like just hacking 30 minutes out. This is not something I ever say about movies, but I think by hacking 30 minutes out and hacking like every lightning bolt that's in the movie um it would get a lot better in a hurry but yeah some strange choices all the same for me this is one where the magical realism works a little bit better if you take away the lightning bolts and that sort of thing like the the whole thing with the bat i think is just an interesting storyline with remove the like lightning with it but you know the bat he made as a kid after his dad passed away that sort of thing is kind of more emotional in a father-son sense than what they did right. in Field of Dreams. And it didn't need all the extra stuff around it. And I think... But it also didn't need the lightning. So, like, what, at what point... I mean, it was adapted from a novel. I don't know. Maybe either of you know more about that. So I don't know, like, why that has a bearing in it. But what you just described serves the exact same purpose. And in a way, that's just, like... It's just better. It's It's easier. It's more practical. It's cheaper. And it's better. So I don't know why it's not just... You know, this bat has clear oh. sentimental meaning. 
Uh, just doing some Wikipedia searching, it was based on a bizarre shooting incident and subsequent comeback of Phil- Philadelphia Philly star uh, Eddie Waitkus. Mm-hmm. So that's where the part of the that part of Roy Hobbs. Yeah, well, which what I read on that is, they just got but I don't shot. think the movie does does a whole lot for this. Is that he was shot by someone who basically her hobby was shooting sports stars. <laughs> Like when in Rome, Adam. I mean, that's a movie. Make the movie about her, not just have her show up for a scene. And it's like, oh, Jesus, okay. Um, which is what happened. But Jordan, your thoughts on the natural? I'm sorry, I am uh, with indignation hogging a lot of the the speaking time here. But was this your first time seeing the natural? You rewatched it? Did you? Say? Oh yeah, it was definitely a rewatch. But I I picked up. I mean, there is an, a comparison, to, like a real-life comparison. He, Roy Hobbs is like Julio Franco. That might be someone that Andrew knows. Ooh, ooh love yeah. that reference. Former yeah, brain. Julio, Franco, Julio Franco almost played when he was 50. And not even, I mean, to play like when you're an everyday player, like pitchers, there are like some pitchers that, like Jamie Moyer, I know I'm going deep into baseball lore and figures, but when you're a pitcher, you pitch like every five days, especially if you're a starting pitcher back then. Like you can play well into like mid 40s and maybe you know get a shot but if you're like an everyday player julio franco is like almost 50 and still playing uh that's one thing there's also i just thought there was i didn't i don't know there was just some kind of there's like this messiah jesus thing with roy hobbs that i picked up on i was like oh my god they're really they're they're leaning in on this like thing of like he literally could do anything he wants like this you know obviously just the mythical and mystical stuff that uh it works better in ter- in in comparison to field of dreams but it still like goes in on like it, i don't know it could be a little absurd obviously and the fact that i mean bump bailey the funniest thing of rewatching bump bailey there's a player that literally dies during a game we have no idea if they even stop the game or if, it, or if they finish it out, and then they, they do this elaborate... That's Michael Madsen, right? It is Michael oh, Madsen. It's Mr... What color is he? From Reservoir Dogs? Mr... Not pink. Blonde. Blonde. Mr. Blonde. Michael Madsen. Uh, he dies. They they have a helicopter... Or not helicopter. A, an airplane flyover, and they literally <laughs> just play another game of baseball. When that would be like the subject of lawsuits, the season might be canceled or what, whatever is going on. Like, there's yeah, that was another thing that I was like, oh, that <laughs> Bump Bailey, they, the person literally blocking Roy Hobbs from playing every day, literally has to die in fa- in order for him to play baseball. <laughs> I had totally oh, yeah. forgotten that going into it, and just inappropriately started cackling when that happened. Because Michael, like you said, Michael Madsen literally dies, and that's how he gets in the lineup. That's that's even more impressive than Roy or, or Lou Gehrig's Wally Pip story. Wally Pip has an injury, comes out for a day. Lou Gehrig plays the next thirteen years or whatever it is. Someone literally dying to send you off in this legendary season. Haven't seen that before. I'm honestly amazed he wasn't struck by lightning. Like, yeah, I, that's I, true. I, I, I'm pretty surprised that wasn't how he died, based on this. Movie. And they say lightning doesn't strike twice, but it strikes ten times in the natural. So I guess that that doesn't hold up. How how is your respective golf knowledge, both of you golfers? Uh, I'm gonna throw a name out, right? Mean, and you might you might know the name. 
A two-time US Open champion, Retief Goosen. Oh yeah, Goose, the Goose. Yeah, he struck by lightning twice. Really? What? Yeah. I'm rooting for and, him in every major going forward. Now. And his his personality was dramatically altered as a result. He was known as this person who was very like uh his temperament's very even keel. He was kind of very flat, very low key guy. And seeing that was the complete opposite of who he was before he was struck by lightning, and he was struck again years later. So there you go. There's uh Wow. I'm just saying make the Retief Goosen movie. That's all I'm saying. Guys, thank you for kind of getting into the muddy waters to start things off here. Uh, we've we've ripped through the nostalgia and Americana uh, aspect of baseball movies, and I think it's safe to say that those aren't movies that are really made for us. They're made for a different generation, and we'll just leave it at that. So the next category that I've crudely chopped these baseball films into is romance, comedy, and baseball. Baseball and the rom-com. As we'll see, these blend together really well in some cases and pretty poorly in other cases. And the, the three movies that we'll discuss here, Bull Durham, Major League, and For Love of the Game. Can I actually move a, a, a film you have in the latter category into this one too? Absolutely. Let's do that. I, I think Take Me Out to the Ball Game should be in here. I think that's fair. And uh, so I guess I'll ask my initial question here because on one side of the spectrum, I'll say Bull Durham and Take Me Out to the Ball Game. This kind of mesh between the two different types of stories works out really well, whereas the other two are, are mediocre and then just outright bad in one case. Hmm. What, what do you think is the big difficulty in balancing the love story versus baseball aspect. I don't think there is one. I think if you're going to make a movie and you want to make a baseball movie, you've got to find a real hook because you shouldn't make a movie that is just about a sport. Like, very difficult to do well. If it's ever been done well, you've got to have, like, you've got to have something that's a real team, not in the field of dreams. Here's our team, but we're not going to do a whole lot to really build to that. I mean, the best way I think for any sports movie, and I think this in part is why a lot of sports movies I'm not really crazy about, it's because they don't connect in the same way that sports should or would, because if you want to make a good sports movie, you need to push the sports to the background. It needs to be the background rather than like the be-all and end-all of the movie. It doesn't mean that your moments of kind of high drama or your low points aren't going to be tied to the sport. But you're bringing it in as a background for a wider arc and a bigger story. And whether that's a story of one person, of two people, of a group of people, in the case of a team, whatever way you might do it. But I, I do think there is something to... I haven't seen For Love of the Game. Uh, that's when you'll be discussing Solo. But the, the other three movies in here I have seen. And I think they're pretty good. I I actually, I actually think all three are pretty good. I, I mean, on a scale, I I like some more than others. Um, I think Bull Durham is excellent. I think for the love of the our um Take Me Out to the Ball Game is very good and very charming for different reasons. We'll probably talk a little bit briefly about that, you and I, and some of the other elements to it. Um and I think Major League is pretty good too. Like, maybe not as funny as I expected, although my relationship with comedies is I mean, it's probably clear already at this point on the 
on the podcast. I don't laugh at comedies very often. It's just something that just endlessly disappoints me. But the one thing I'll say about Major League is, and this might be where I'm completely like way out of bounds with it, but I'm curious for both of your reaction to this. I think it captures actual baseball, like baseball being played better than any of these movies. Like obviously some of it is comedic and some of it is amped up, but it really commits to showing baseball and I think manages to do it in a way that's better than in literally any other movie we're going to talk about that actually tries to recreate the baseball for large spells. I'll agree with that. I would say that the most realistic baseball portion of any baseball movie is one that I've only only I've seen here is for love of the game. They do a tremendous job. They, they've got, got guys that look like they know how to play baseball. They've got a Fox baseball broadcast with Finn Scully providing commentary. So in, in terms of the actual baseball, they knock it out of the park. Uh, lack of chemistry between their, their primary uh, female and male lead, Kevin Costner and Kelly Preston, is what drags that movie down. And much like The Natural, way too long, focuses on the love story when the most interesting part of the movie is Kevin Costner's uh, – trying for a perfect game in the last start of his career. So we'll push that, that aside. That's the movie, now that you say that and you commend it's baseball, isn't that the movie that Costa was on the Bill Simmons podcast last year and he talked about the Yankees team doctor juiced him up for because the, the baseball scenes were so prolonged that he was like, yeah, if you've got anything there, give it to me. Yeah, Costner was throwing probably 300 pitches a, a day while filming that. <laughs> right. Uh, I need to watch that one sometime, even if you say it's not good. I say that, I never will, but I'm going to say it as kind of, you know, like put I, it out there, who knows what will happen. Like I told you, they need to make the Andrew cut, where I pretty much cut out any scene with Kelly Preston in it. No shade to her, sorry if it was recast with an actress that Costner actually had chemistry with. It might have been a good movie, or if it had a better screenplay. But anyway, I'll agree with you that Major League does also bring that aspect together, and that all the guys on the field look like they are baseball players, they look like they know how to play baseball. Uh, it's even it's separate to that, though, Andrew. It's just the, it's just the staging of it and how you capture it. Like to actually try to capture it in a dynamic way. Like you, you mentioned at the start, it's like oh, it's a sport that is very kind of naturally lends itself to cinema, and that's true. And I think one of the reasons why that's most true is because, unlike basketball, unlike not entirely American football, because you've got you've got bouts of standing still essentially, which are good for the camera but there's there's a practicality to baseball of like how you can just it, it lends itself to shot reverse shot because you can yes. just like you know p- pitcher's eyes to to the batter's eyes and you go back and forth and then you can have a wide shot that's getting all of your action and it's it's not frantic to begin with like it's it is actually easier to it's something you can actually choreograph it's something you can see on a game itself because there's just so much downtime. The whole game is very presentational in in its fabric. You know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. you're only you're seeing that in a, just in a very cinematic way, obviously, and that makes it like all the movies that like the between Major League Bold uh, Bold Moneyball to an extent. Uh, yeah, like, but it's something different that I I think is interesting. Maybe we'll talk about. It. But yeah, go on. But there's there is like the, like the fact that like there's the kind of like oh we I guess it goes back to like the down on like on your luck 
kind of teams and then eventually they figure it out all together like that in itself can be like if you just build out like the story itself like it can be tied to it it's very easy to tell the story that way too but the game itself is obviously just like you're a when you turn into a baseball game you can see people's reactions and just them counting off signs and stuff like that where basketball the only downtime you get is like when you're at the free throw line or stuff like that like football is like before the play even begins and even like trying to kick like a game-winning field goal or something like that like they're Mm -hmm. the whole game of baseball itself that's what makes it more uh uh, back to what i was just saying (laughs) and the the other sport that also i mean there have been plenty of movies about um is, is golf Yep. And for the same the same dynamic, you know, the same dynamic at play. Where I, I think I think a lot of filmmakers may think, oh, it lends itself naturally to a kind of a cinematic pacing. But I, I think like even we're talking about some of what we're seeing and some of how we feel these movies drag. I actually think they let the baseball of it all pace the movie a little bit too much. Like so like the natural, I think that's certainly the case. It it allows the kind of maybe this is the non-baseball fan and me uh coming out but i I think it allows that kind of deliberateness even feel the dreams i said it like it's everything is so laid back and it's just kind of so no matter what and how bizarre it is it's just kind of it's not coming at you with urgency there's not decision decision and it's just kind of like oh this is happening and it, it feels like a very very much kind of the game reflecting onto it which i think in the wrong hands or not even the wrong hands i mean someone like barry levinson's a really good director who i think in the natural maybe doesn't quite get the most of i think it's very easy to get away for you now maybe major league because it's a comedy and it has i guess more uh impetus to kind of find quick cuts and it's working with a much bigger cast of characters it's a true ensemble as opposed to focusing in on one or two characters necessarily in the same way you're getting to do a lot more and it's a lot more again dynamic because of that that transfers to when they're showing the game because you've got multiple characters that within a play you want to check in with or if they're sitting on the bench or whatever it might be like you're just doing a lot more Mm -hmm. so yeah that's that's my unqualified opinion on the baseball ball but i did I did answer the key part of this question and then take us away from it, Andrew. So I apologize on that. So maybe I'll throw that to, to Jordan for his part of that and see what he thinks. But I do think for the like the rom com nature of it, these are these are rom coms all to one extent or the other. I, I think that works because I think with any sports movie, you just can't it can't just be that this the movie is purely about the baseball because no one wants to watch that. They just watch baseball instead or they'd watch basketball or whatever sport it might be. Like you've got to make a movie and work this into your world. As when you can create an authentic world, I think that's when it's interesting. But not during pandemics. Well, yeah. (laughs) What What do you think on that though, Jordan? Do you find like, like, I don't know. I won't say we're not the three guys who'll sit down and like, proactively watch rom-coms because andrew absolutely does that but the rom-com of this works for me in the case of these movies did you feel that jordan yeah i i'm not i'm not necessarily talking about the relationships or the chemistry oh, i'm yeah. talking about i'm talking about just the shaping of the movie in that way and how it molds baseball into it i guess yeah i, I would agree with that i think watching i never saw builder bolt I even just called it Bull Durham. Bull Durham. 
before uh, in anticipation of doing this. I hadn't seen it before. And just the how they framed everything, it really worked in my eyes. Um, uh, yeah, I think there is just something. I don't know. I don't know why. I guess I'm trying to think of other sports movies that have or have done that with other sports. I guess there's other. Is Love and Basketball? I haven't seen Love and Basketball, but that's letter of I. I'll see it next week. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but the, again, I think it just kind of goes. I don't know how, why it works or necessarily works, but it does, I guess. I, maybe I'm just too stupid to try to figure it out. <laughs> I think for me, it's because you get to actually focus on characters as characters. True. And then you, then you can build like their baseball journey from that. You can be like, okay, so if it's, if it's Bull Durham, you can think of, okay, who is Costner's character? Who is Tim Robbins' character? Okay, so how does that then translate to who they are as baseball players, to where they need to go? You know, I, I think it allows you because you're you've got other things you need to do, you've got other things you need to check off, because in that case you've got this love triangle essentially with Susan Sarandon. So you need those characters to be certain types of people and to perform certain functions to make that element of your story work, and then you've got to make that add up to the baseball. That's my my read on it. I'm the way I feel as someone who watches movies watching it. And I think like in that movie I, I find it really effective. I think it's it works really, really well. I I completely agree with that. And and so I won't touch on For Love of the Game again because we've delved into that as much as it deserves. For hate but of the movie, that's that's what you'd call <laughs> Sorry. The Andrew Cut coming soon. Uh so I think we're major league struggles with the the love aspect of it i don't think it's necessarily bad but renee russo and tom berenger's relationship only impacts them at whereas in bull durham the way that that crash davis kevin costner's character and nuke lelouch are, are interacting with annie susan saran's character impacts them both when they're with her and also in the clubhouse and as they go about their daily lives so like you said it fleshes them out as characters and also creates this sort of tension that carries on throughout the movie and gives them other motivations beyond what are we doing during this uh, 141 or however many they play in the Carolina League game season. Part of it's <laughs> they're figuring out how to to deal with one another when Nuke is with Annie and Crash wants to be with Annie. Yeah, I think that's fair, and that's a good observation of Major League. Because uh, I, I don't think it's that that... Like, it's not it's not as if I think that pairing uh, doesn't work, the Tom Berenger-Renee Rousseau pairing. I think it it is, as you're saying. It's like... I really like Wesley Snipes' performance at Major League. I really enjoy that. Um, and... Is it Dennis Haysbert? Is that Pedro Serrano? I found that character pretty fun, too. Mm-hmm. But it's not so not so into wild thing charlie sheen's character i like i don't really know why that was such a central to the movie i don't get that but i think the problem it has is not that its relationship doesn't work it's just it's like it could be another movie on its own right it's like you're trying to make multiple movies at once there Mm -hmm. um it's like you're just trying to make a movie that is about this team and about kind of like fraternity and this these kind of ideas where then you've also got this other thing happening. That's that's a tricky balance. I don't think that 
any of those things in Major League don't work in isolation. I just you don't get to maximize the impact of any of them because you're trying to throw them all together. And it leaves you in a place where it's like, if it's too much just with the team, you might be like, oh, but what about what about this kind of romantic situation here? Do we need some resolution to that? Or if it goes full way into that, you're like, well, I want to see those other characters I've spent so much of the movie with. It just, it doesn't have the balance right that it can't just quite be one thing or the other. When it's working, though, uh that's where it does succeed though because i talked about how nostalgia and a lost sense of americana is not what draws me to baseball in particular the teams that i follow the the thing that i love about baseball from growing up playing it on teams and following teams is that you throw a collection of 25 dudes together with different backgrounds different personalities and they have to pull together to achieve a goal and i think this movie highlights that extremely well because you've got varying cast of characters you've got guys that might like each other you've got guys that hate each other but at the end of the day they're both striving for they're all striving for that same goal to reach the playoffs so i think that's that's what it does really well and i I know can we can we talk a one specific plot point at major league that i i need some clarity on absolutely i hope both either of you can assist me with this so the we have the the female owner or the owner's wife i think is actually technically what the characters introduced at the beginning of the movie who comes in as generally overseeing this whole season the whole process process is probably a good word for it to use there because the idea is they want to tank they basically she wants them to be as bad as they can be and her goal is to move the team to miami so, okay, I understand that. And they basically try to build a bad team and they accidentally build a pretty competent team, uh, which happens quite often. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I can think of multiple NBA examples of recent years, even where that happens. It's like, you think you're doing one thing, and oh, we're kind of competitive. What I don't get is, well, actually two things. The movie finishes with a playoff game between the Indians and the Yankees. Is that the AL League? Yes. AL, likely, rather than the AL League, that would be. But at that point, she's still rooting for them to lose, and I can't make any sense of that. Well, it's the same with... That... It's this, well, I guess the natural is more direct in that if they lose, the guy takes over the team completely. They're, they're... Yeah, in her case, though, it's like... <laughs> You've nearly turned this thing. Like her problem at the start is they they're not good ever, and then you know so we might as well do this properly and like get to move this thing out. But then they accidentally get good, and that's not. No, that. I'm, I'm sure. Sure, let's move to Miami over Cleveland. I understand the uh, the economics of that motivation, but I just didn't get at that point what it was achieving. By, I I just felt what was supposed to be the main kind of tension in the movie doesn't make sense. It doesn't hold up at that moment because like, you know, if the team is really good and could maybe go and win it all, um, any owner would start to get behind that because that's the kind of thing that's going to help your pockets. Also, if that was the AL and they won, shouldn't they be going to the world series? Yes, they, they would. So is that, the- is that another movie or they just, I know there are sequels, or did they just end the movie? The reading that I took of it is that they finished uh, tied for the division with the Yankees, and I think that might have been that might have been pre wild card or uh, no, not sure. 
It says playoff game. That is funny though, because again, going back to the natural, it's the same thing where they don't. It's not the end of the season. Right. Yeah, it's a, is, it's a one game playoff to get into the playoffs. I that's a, yeah. There, what it is. Yeah. But then why not let us like particularly with, okay, the natural is based on something, but major league, have you seen major league sequel? Yes. No, it's, I believe it's not good, but does it, are the same actors back? Some of them, does it pick S- up with the team uh, in any way? Wesley Snipes <laughs> is, it's not in it, but it is the same cast of characters for a large part of it and it's basically like they got fat and happy off one playoff appearance but they did not win the world series does it not just seem weird though for the movie to bring them there and they win a big game and to be like oh that's it and we don't it's not like there's just nothing else that seems so strange to me i didn't get that i don't all those strands of why the owner would still be like i need them to lose doesn't make sense to me at that point because you know you just Okay, it didn't work. Let's own this thing that's actually good now. Is normally the way that would play out. I, maybe to most people watching, they're never going to notice or care. But that was not even. I didn't need baseball brain for that. That's when sports brain kicked in. And I'm like, okay, the team is good now. Um, why someone who you know she's is gonna financially get, she's going to get that playoff revenue and, that that gate exactly. And they're about to win a game, and you'll get more playoff money. And she's like, oh, I want them to lose? It makes no sense. So that, and then not going on to a World Series or going on to whatever, just didn't didn't make any sense to me. We needed more exposition where maybe the clause in the contract is she gets to move them if they don't make the playoffs, not if they're just absolutely atrocious and don't exceed a certain number of wins or attendance. So that's definitely a, an, an oversight there. Can we, can we, because we haven't touched on it, but I want to just talk about it briefly. I think it's the movie that most people listening won't have seen. Jordan hasn't seen it. Maybe he'll see it someday. Everyone, you can see this very easy. It's on YouTube, uh, so I would recommend it. But it is Take Me Out to the Ball Game, which is a movie from 1949, uh, technically directed by Busby Berkeley, the famed musical director, mostly of stage, occasionally of screen. Although, in truth, what happened is Gene Kelly and Stanley Doan and had to finish directing it. So this puts us right in the in the era of, I mean, peak Gene Kelly and peak Stanley Doan. And this is like on, on the town and singing in the rain and right around this time, literally the same year as on the town, they make. Um, so the year of on the town, Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra star in that movie. They also star in Take Me Out to the Ball Game, uh, which is a musical, technical musical, I believe an MGM musical at the time. This is problematic in a lot of ways because it is 70 years old and it is rampantly sexist. And yet it still manages to maintain some charm because it's got Gene Kelly and it's got Frank Sinatra. And even when they're both being assholes, they... They, they smile and they sing and it's easy to forget a lot of that. I found this interesting because this even has elements that then you can see in Major League. You have the the female owner dynamic played in a very different way. It's played in the in the romantic way and I mean for certainly a segment of it in the love triangle way that comes in Bull Durham. This was just a movie that for the majority of the films that we we watched for this, there as we've already mentioned, they're '80s movies. So this came thirty plus years before that, and it almost had all of the component parts, 
And it even, it had a song specifically about America. Not even necessarily about baseball. It was a baseball movie. And it had a kind of song about America. And then it had a song about Ireland because uh, there was all these Irish characters in it. So I guess that that calmed me down a little bit, although mm, not the kind of, I, I won't, I'm not going there. I found this interesting in part, aside from just enjoying it, aside from being like Gene Kelly, great, Frank Sinatra, great. And thinking it's a pretty good film overall. I found this interesting then watching a lot of the other movies because I think all of the pieces are kind of there. Did you notice that, Andrew? Yeah, I was noticing that as well. Uh, because we had had our discussions offline about some of the things that didn't really appeal to us about Field of Dreams and the Natural. But like you said, that's all there. But Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly are singing at you and dancing in the most charming way possible. So you're so entertained that you don't really notice it. Uh, and you also don't notice the blatant sexism. <laughs> oh, well, you notice it. You can't but notice it. But you're... Look, it's a movie from 1949. There's a lot of movies. <laughs> There's a lot of movies that have these problems that we watch still and for different reasons. I think the main thing is noticing them. If you didn't notice them, then it would be a problem. Uh, but the fact that you can notice and be like, yeah, that's not that's not great um, is kind of key to that. But I actually think a really a good movie that aside I think just structurally it's really fun and it's kind of snappy it comes in we talked about the pacing of so many of these it's a 93 minute movie and I actually enjoyed a lot of the baseball elements of it too I think it captured something to the team dynamic part of it which is something that some of the other movies one movie in particular we'll talk about a little bit later I think again plays into and it's something that I like about sports movies it's a for me is one of the good reasons to make a sports movie is to try and capture something about you know what it means to be part of a team or what it means to kind of feel those kind of communal bonds to capture that in that way I think that's also present in this movie yeah I agree the the bond between teammates even if you're not a part-time vaude villain with them uh is highlighted really well like just the scene where uh gene kelly uh sinatra and the the third guy that i'm blanking on are, are trying to figure out how they can convince the uh the new owner jules munchen jules munchen jules munchen uh how they can convince the new owner to go out on the town with them so that they won't get in trouble for breaking cure for you like that's mm-hmm. a that's a very classic uh ball player trope of they're just trying to figure out how they can chase women and get drunk and even in 1949 apparently that was part of the thing uh another thing i'll say that was kind of surprising there is the love story element that they bring in with um sinatra uh ending up with uh betty garrett is that who it is? And Gene Kelly ended up with Esther Williams' character. Spoiler alert, came out in 1949. It's fine. They, they even do a, a little song about it at the end of the movie. They do. They break the fort wall with a weird song at the end. I loved it. I It's normally something like that I would hate, but I, I really loved it. Andrew, it, you loved it because they were singing and dancing. No no one thought that Andrew would end up like loving a musical on this episode, but I introduced this one into the baseball movies and... To no one's surprise, Andrew loves it. It's true. It's very true. Uh, what, I, what I was getting into is that the start of both of the romantic relationships here are very problematic and shouldn't be endearing. But by the end of the movie, somehow you're rooting for both of them. And like you said, for me, it's probably just because they were singing and dancing. I, I think it's also, I mean, it's funny. I think it's very well 
played. There's there's a certain charm. It's a it's an old Hollywood charm to this movie that I will say um, in these particular troubled times <laughs> that we're all enduring through, I found very refreshing. And in a week where I watched like some pretty some pretty grueling baseball movies, this was a, a nice little tonic in the middle of it. Um, I, there's one other movie that I think we should mention, and we we it didn't come up in honorable mentions, and that's in part because none of us have seen it, and I planned on it, and I just didn't get to it. But it it may be kind of one of the most seminal baseball movies. It may be the the biggest kind of um. The most notable exclusion of what we're talking about, and that is a movie from earlier in the 40s. It's The Pride of the Yankees, which came out in 1942. Jordan, have you seen Pride of the Yankees? I have not. That's okay. Neither of Andrew and I. I just I hadn't discussed it with you, so I thought, oh, I better check. It is a, a movie about Lou Gehrig that was nominated for, I think, 10 Oscars at the time. Uh, Lou Gehrig is played by Gary Cooper. Gary, a Gary plays Cooper himself type? in it. Yeah, very literally D. Gary Cooper type. Um, Babe Ruth plays himself, along with lots of other baseball players who may be famous, but I don't know them. I know who Babe Ruth is, though. Um, That is one that I think we should just actually mention and flag up, because I think it is probably one that if we'd seen, we may talk about a little bit more and is deemed to be one of the more historically significant baseball movies. Good shout by you, as always, Adam. Before we move on to our next category, I want to close uh, by circling back to Bull Durham for a minute. That is probably my favorite baseball movie. Uh, I live in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm three or four miles from the ballpark they play in now, the Durham Bulls Athletic Park. They're now a triple-A team. Spend about five to ten nights a year uh, out at the ballpark drinking beer and eating hot dogs. So, uh, can you just on this before you get to whatever you're getting to? Because I, again, I need the local, the inside explanation of this. Yes, the title of the movie. Like, what? <laughs> I, I assume there's some some logic to this. Uh, before I knew anything, before I even, I this is long before I watched it. Just a general awareness of this awareness of this movie for a long time. I assumed this was a movie, a baseball movie about a character whose name was Bull Durham. And then, of course, more recently it occurred to me, oh no, the Durham Bulls, that makes sense. But that particular ordering of this, is there any reasoning for that that you can put your finger on? So there was a, in my research, there was a baseball player from the, I guess he played in probably the early 1900s named bull durham uh durham is the bull city which uh dates back to its tobacco roots um so not great there but that's kind of where that comes from i i would i've never read an interview with with ron shelton the director who also i believe directed white men can't jump which is something i'm you also directed tin cook yep. uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned ron shelton because i just think he is someone very significant particularly we're doing a basketball podcast that so we will talk about white men can't jump next week Come. he also wrote blue, he also wrote blue chips um this guy likes sports movies he is like the all-time i make sports movies guy so and you know what i think he does it pretty well yeah i don't think many people do it well and he clearly loves sports and he's jumped from sport to sport so i think that works from 
But that was something I did not know who Ron Shelton was by name watching this movie. And then when I was watching Bullterm, I was like, man, who directed this? And then you just see, oh, this is the same person who directed like all the other iconic sports movies. I guess that makes sense. I guess this is what he does. And he does very, very well. I will cape for 10 cup during our 2021, 2022 golf episode, whenever that happens to be. An- oh yeah. An- another uh, Kevin Costner role and Renee Russo's in that movie. So <laughs> we're tying everything back together. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll close on Bull Durham. Uh, another interesting fact, the, so the ballparks that it was shot in as their home field, the Durham athletic park colloquially, colloquially. Oh God. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, known as the DAP, the new one's Durham Bulls Athletic Park, known as the DBAP. But the old DAP still exists today. Uh, North Carolina Central University, and I think a few high schools use it as their home field as well. And it presses up against the back of a boxcar barcade. Jordan, are you familiar with boxcars? Do they have those in your area? Uh, I no. We're getting very southern here. So basically, it's a bar with a bunch of arcade games. And this particular location, there's quite a few locations in North Carolina. It might be uh, this area thing. I'm not sure. But it presses up against the outfield wall. So you have big glass windows. And a few Sundays ago, I was there enjoying uh, an entire bottle of champagne because they're on sale on Sundays uh, and a little bit of orange juice. And there was a college baseball game going on. So I'm playing skee-ball and racing games and guitar hero while watching a college baseball game at the old Durham athletic park. So it's a, a very unique thing uh, in my community. And p- partially probably the reason that I'm so drawn to this movie is because I just grew up with the Durham Bulls. Uh, but the bigger point I wanted to make is this movie accurately represents what it is like to be a minor league baseball player more than any movie I've ever seen. The long bus trips, the relationships between teammates, the the differences in the type of people that are on team. You might have a guy who's a career minor leaguer that's never going to make it, that's got that veteran uh, sense about him that's on the team just for that reason. And you've also got the hothead prospect who's on a rocket ship to the majors. So I think it really accomplishes that very well. And I think it's uh, it's it's funnier than some of the other comedy baseball movies, but in a more Grounded. I don't want to say highbrow high way, but not quite as uh, not quite as low bar, if that makes sense. But Jordan, anything else on Bull Durham Major League before we head to the last category? I know I've kind of been rambling a bit. No, I I would say. That- I I enjoyed Bull Durham for my first watch of it. I think of of the K- Kevin Costner baseball trilogy without seeing for love of the game. I thought that would that was I didn't I you've never seen a or the movies I've seen you haven't seen a side of Kevin Costner like that unless if you're talking about the cinematic classic the next three days. Um, but the kind of withered <laughs> Kevin Costner I I liked I liked seeing. It's the best Kevin Costner performance I think I've seen. I, I, He's not someone... I like him as a person. Anytime I see him interviewed or hear him interviewed, I'm always like, yeah, Kevin Costner's cool and he's smart and whatever. But I, I find him to be like the equivalent to, I don't know, a piece of cardboard on screen. You know, he's not... I, I don't necessarily think there's a lot going on there in terms of charisma a lot of the time. And yet in this movie, there's charisma. And I appreciated that. 
this movie also, fair warning, for if anyone hasn't seen it, I had no idea going in. This is incredibly sexually charged. Oh, yeah. Like, I had no idea even... It was just refreshing very early on to be like, okay, this isn't the the over-sentimental, wholesome... This isn't <laughs> the Field of Dreams the, thing. the opposite. It's, it's the complete opposite. Like, the even the last 15 minutes of this, I mean, incredibly well done, but, like, very, very not about baseball. Like, which works. You know, it, it's... It's very much uh, at odds with large chunks of the movie, but this is a movie about relationships um, more than it is about baseball. So all of that ultimately makes sense. But I, I really, really liked this movie. Um, it was, it's also an, it's an example of uh, just a weird, fun en- energy Tim Robbins performances mm-hmm. that he used to do at this point in his career. It's like you think of Tim Robbins and you think of like Shawshank and Jacob's Ladder and movies like that. This is like more attuned to the Tim Robbins who would go on to be in Hoodsucker Proxy. And I like that Tim Robbins. I like Tim Robbins generally, but uh, I do like him. I don't know. I don't know if he's the most natural fit for this. I, I actually I have another question. This is another baseball question. Something that comes up in these movies a lot. Go on. No, I think I I hope I know what it's going to be and continue. If you do, I'll be surprised because it felt like a real bolt from the blue into my head. Um, Tim Robbins is a unique looking guy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is this is this remotely? Do you still think you know where this is going? Go ahead. Keep going. I'm not sure I do anymore. <laughs> I don't think you do. I'm not saying that for good or for bad. One thing I noticed in these movies, though, even to Moneyball, when, like, the scouts are talking, they're all obsessed with how baseball players look. Oh, what is that oh, about? Oh, yeah, that's... that's, that's... They, they talk about their face. What is that? Now, this did occur to me that even my vision of what a baseball player, it's a very, like, traditional kind of athletic chiseled jaw. But what is that? What is... Why in all of these movies, from a, like... Moneyball, again, the old-fashioned, the eye test, they don't just talk about, like, what a guy's swing is like. They're like, great face. And, you know, oh, you know, what is that? What is that about? Adam, baseball's a game about failure, I think, is is one thing about it. And if you see a really good-looking guy, they may have grown up with a sense of misplaced confidence because of the good looks. So I'm wondering if that's some aspect of it. I think that's one thing the scouts get into in Moneyball. For yeah, sure. they're like, oh, his girlfriend is a six. That means he doesn't have confidence. Like, uh, even all of that, I'm like, what is, is this, uh, which I would take that, you know, a lot of those Moneyball elements are probably real, probably reported. Aaron Sorkin did do a rewrite, so I know a lot of stuff is not real. Um, but I, I just didn't get that. That was something that I found recurring in all of them. And basically all I was going with that is, I really liked some of the Tim Robbins energy, but he doesn't have the, like Costner is the perfect Redford. Like these are, they get cast in baseball movies for this reason. I can only guess that there seems to be this fascination with, you know, a certain type of baseball man. And Tim Robbins didn't fit that particular mold would be the only thing I'd say about that, which I found interesting, particularly as I went on and this kept coming up. I'm like, why are they talking about what these people look like? This is, this is insane. I don't know of another sport where this is a consideration. This is kind of weird, but that kind of comparison was often stereotyped to hitters. Like, yeah. I don't have any scientific evidence here, but 
pitchers, there's some ugly motherfuckers that are some absolute is, is, that a, is that like a marketability? Is that a selling tickets? Like, is that does that come in right from like scouting? I just I find it strange. Well, I don't that, quite I mean, know. That is the I know you're talking about the scouts and money belt, but the whole thing about Billy being about like, oh, he this is he looks like the perfect player, and then he <laughs> fails spectacularly. <laughs> And of course, he's played in the movie by Brad Pitt. Yeah, exactly. It's, the irony of all ironies. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I can't put my finger on that. That's something, um, not in the ways that, you know, not getting things just completely aggravated me in Field of Dreams. But that is a layer to all of these movies. There seems to be this thing about the superficial, what someone looks like, which I just don't understand. And I mean, again, Moneyball, there's so much about superficiality of, you know, uh, exactly what someone's pitching form is like, or what a like all of these elements. But I don't know. Is is that just something that's tied to baseball? This kind of there's a certain baseball aesthetic, and you need all of these things to check the check the boxes. I don't know. Sorry, that's a weird diversion, but it was just another question that came to mind because I was like, I don't understand this. I need. I need some American friends who are much more well-versed in baseball to be like, is this something that's real? Or is this just a very weird thing that recurs in multiple movies? Well, Adam, you mentioned Moneyball. So I think in in taking us on that little side road, you, you've kind of launched us into the final category that we'll discuss today, if, if that sounds like a good plan for you. That sounds like a good plan. So the last category I deemed critically acclaimed, but that could have also applied to Field of Dreams. Uh, so not necessarily the right category. What I will can I can I recategorize to start? Yes, because I that's what I was. About I think to do. like these are the these are the two most recent movies that we've included here, and I think that's interesting. And one of them is period set, but these are the two most recent movies. And they're made in a time where the perception of a lot of things is very different to it was in the 80s. So as we talked about, I guess some of the themes and some of the the core ideas, but also just the greater kind of energy of the movies and of the worlds within the movies from those 80s movies is like gone. And it's something entirely different. I think that holds up here. So I just, I think this is baseball through the contemporary prism, which is one a world that's more cynical, a world that processes things in a very different way, and also a world that's... I guess it's less wed to some of those old baseball ideas, and baseball has become more niche. So you've got these small areas of what baseball actually means, or what makes baseball interesting. Why would you make a baseball movie that I think applies to the two films we're going to talk about now? It's what you and I had discussed offline and that more so than any other movies we're discussing, these movies use baseball as a backdrop to a larger, possibly more interesting story. There is another movie that's a recent enough movie that I haven't seen. I have no intention of ever seeing, but you may have seen it. Did you see was it Trouble with the Curve, the Clint Eastwood thing? Mm. I did. I could I could have a two hour long title, a title that. not not suited for our times. <laughs> Jesus, that's very true. Uh, very, very true, Jordan. That's something that none of us want to have trouble with anytime soon. I'm guessing that has some sort of spirit, we'll say, that is reminiscent of the movies of the 80s. I would call it 
the like over- Clint Eastwood is in it. Yeah, it's the o- <laughs> it's the overreaction to the scout scene in Moneyball that oh. disparages the scout. It's that. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It was. Oh, you're gonna make me want to watch it. It was on cable the other day, and I saw the final five minutes, and I wanted to gouge my eyes out. And it has it has Amy Adams in it, and I love Amy Adams. Is it John Hamm too? Is it Timberlake? Uh, that that's Million Dollar Arm. It's Timberlake. Oh, okay. I've just mixed two. Timberlake. Yeah, and he's a baseball executive that wants to be a broadcaster in a storyline that makes absolutely no fucking sense whatsoever. Uh, Clint Eastwood scout character claims he can hear a hitch in a person's swing which whatever the fuck that means they find <laughs> they find a pe- a kid that's a peanut vendor at the high school and then bring him to a major league tryout also Clint Eastwood's character is like the head area scout for this particular area the draft is in like a week and a half and we're presuming that the first time anyone from the the organization picking second overall in the MLB draft is just seeing the person they plan to pick with that pick one week before the draft. There's just so many things in this movie that make me want to punch a wall. And Adam, you've sent me on a field of dreams rant. Any kind of movie, you're going to have to suspend some aspect of disbelief. There are shortcomings with Moneyball that I'll get into in a little bit, but nothing compares to Trouble with the Curb. We did not plan to discuss this movie. It is the worst baseball movie <laughs> that has ever existed. Clint Eastwood should go to jail for making this movie. Uh, for other movies, I mean, I think that's fair. Well, yeah, there's lots of things. We're not, we're not doing that. It's for another day. Another day that I'd never plan on coming. Um, where was I? What was I trying to do that I inadvertently recategorized? I, I know, that. yeah, but it was. These aren't the only recent baseball movies. Was something I was I was trying to get at, but I do think uh, without and Eastwood has now set us up on a road that is uh, a little rockier and a little bit more challenging to traverse, um, while drawing this kind of straight line down the middle that we're going to continue on. But politics factors into this. I think the the politics of today and the top politics of movies of today, for the most part, and of the directors in question and the writers in question, like we're going to talk about Everybody Wants Some, which is a movie made by Richard Linklater. I mean, anyone who's familiar with Linklater movies, I, like he's a certain kind of guy. He's got a certain kind of outlook. And then we've got Moneyball, which, as I already mentioned, it's directed by Bennett Miller, which, I mean, may not be a name that brings anything one way or another to mind for too many people, but as I mentioned, Aaron Sorkin is credited as a screenwriter and that has its own connotations. So I I do think, like, I think there's something distinctly 80s and there's something distinctly... There's something that speaks to not just what America was, but possibly also um, what the movie industry was in the 80s and who was leading it and what kind of message wanted to come out. And I think there is a flip side of that. And I think that comes across in these movies. Now I I do also think these two particular movies, I mean, part of why you would have put them as critically acclaimed, they're critically acclaimed. And part of the reason for that is like, they just, they have some immensely talented people involved, like ridiculously talented people. And maybe more so than a lot of these other movies we've talked about, where sure there are some, at the natural where you've got some legendary figures both in front of and behind the camera. Um, but 
particularly, I mean, Moneyball, that stands out in one regard. But then, as I mentioned, you've got Linklater with Everybody Wants Some. So I I just think these are more representative of what a baseball movie needs to be now, particularly because if you want to make it now, you've got to say, okay, well, what makes it interesting? And that is like analytics and sabermetrics and whatever for, for Moneyball. And then for Everybody Wants Some, it's like, okay, well, what can we capture? What does baseball speak to? What does it represent? Like a movie with... I don't know, five minutes of baseball in it. Is that right? Yeah, probably around that. And a lot of it's montages and isolated sequences that aren't really actual gameplay. And there's no gameplay. Like, I mean, it's not even montage, but there's, there's no gameplay. I'm talking about everybody wants some now. Um, oh, sorry. Money... Yeah, we get a, a practice scrimmage in that, but that's about it. There's, there's more than five minutes of Moneyball, but yeah, I will talk about the montage element of that. But yeah, I think that just speaks to baseball's changing place and how you've got to pitch a movie and how it's something entirely different. Uh, so Moneyball, if we can get into that for a little bit, based on what you said, obviously you've got a great cast, you've got a great or, or a accomplished director. He's made some a few films that I think have gotten critical acclaim, Capote, Foxcatcher, that sort of thing. It's a movie nominated for six Academy Awards. So, you know, it's got some clout. And more so than anything, like a lot of uh, Michael Lewis books, uh, it's about business and process and economics. Uh, so, as I said, it is based off Michael Lewis's uh, early two thousand or early two thousands book Moneyball, which is basically him falling around Billy Bean for <laughs> for a few months and and trying to figure out how he operates in an economic system where the Yankees are the haves and the A's are the have-nots and how do you make up that ground with a lower budget? Uh, Jordan, because you do like baseball and follow baseball, were, were you someone that, that read Moneyball when it came out at the time? No, I, I didn't read it until last summer. Uh, I, of course, knew like all the kind of the stuff that came out from it, uh, you know, 17 years ago, 18 years ago at this point now. But I, I didn't take the time until last summer to fully read it and kind of see more about like what <laughs> everybody's been talking about for the last almost two decades. Yeah. So this book really started the analytics quote unquote revolution in, in baseball, but more so more than analytics, it was just about trying to find undervalued assets. And I think what the movie highlights so well is, is the challenge that Bean had in working in a system that's designed to beat him. And that's more than just baseball. I mean, Bean's character and the way he's having to approach existing in this economic ecosystem that is MLB is almost similar to some of the characters in, in the big short trying to figure out how they could take advantage of the, the housing crisis or the stock market and that sort of thing. So being that the movie is about something totally different than baseball but still has that baseball surrounding it is what makes it most successful to me and some adam someone like you that's coming at it from a standpoint of not growing up around baseball don't watch baseball on a regular basis i think that it could be just as accessible as any other typical hollywood movie sure but it gives you like going back to what i talked about it gives you like it doesn't just shy away from baseball like this is a baseball movie um this is this is the part of baseball that i probably know most about 
I have read, I don't think I've finished it, which is something I do with books a lot. I have a lot of books that I've read 50 pages of, and then I get sidetracked and never get back to them. But I've certainly read 50 pages of Moneyball. <laughs> and that's because, like, this is not just a baseball thing. Like, the obviously, the movement that was essentially inspired by the analytics movement and how it was implemented into other sports, it applies across the board. It applies to the NBA. It applies to soccer around the world. So I was very much aware with that, aware of that book and familiar with some of the just general principles of what Billy Bean had done with the Oakland A's before seeing this movie. Um, so a level of familiarity that I wouldn't have with the others. And then even just from the way that I process the business of other sports that I understand, I think this is a movie that if you're into any sport, you're going to get it. I don't know if you're not into sport at all. Like it is kind of in the reads. I don't, I don't think it's presented in a way that would just completely kind of close it off to other people. But if you're not interested in sports, like the scenes, which some of my favorite scenes in the movie, when um, Billy Bean and the composite character played by Jonah Hill, like when they're negotiating trades on the, on the phone. Like, I love that sequence. If you, just aren't into sports is that just like really stupid to you possibly <laughs> i think the like, great why do these people care about it i don't know the great achievement there is that it's this great triumphant moment and they're trading for a middle reliever and <laughs> yeah it's, it's just it's sure sure but that is see that's what you can take from it now i can't take that from it i i get at that point i know the principle of the movie i know the principles they're operating on and building their team so I get the general, I get the general idea of it without being like, okay, this is, you know, the specifics. I don't, again, I don't know what a middle reliever is. Um, like none, none of that actually matters in that moment. I can, I can put something else from a sporting sense onto that, but I wonder if you're just completely out of sports, if that works. Now saying that you're right in how you frame this, this isn't, this is a movie about something much bigger. It's a movie, one about innovation. I think that will speak to a lot of people. That is, I guess, what Billy Bean is known for more than uh, more than really being ultimately successful with it. I think that seems, from what I know, fair to say. Like he he has never won a World Series, right? No. Correct. So he is known as someone who will try things and has had success, moderate success, but not the ultimate success, which as we all know is really what sports is about. Like what does it all count for if in the end you don't get there? Um, which is really the point the movie starts from, yeah. um, where they try something else and that's not working, and then oh, well, we didn't do it. So that's one thing: innovation. Billy, B. I think the other. Go, go on. No, go ahead. Continue. I think the other thing and the key thing for me, and I think the the most universal idea of it, I think the thing. I mean the the script was co-written by Stephen Zalian and Aaron Sorkin, so two of the best working screenwriters there are. But for me, the thing that gets Sorkin in and that makes this a Sorkin-esque movie and that moves so much of the dialogue in the way it is and that really puts a shape on the film that it ultimately went on to be is this is a movie about establishment. Uh, I, I think that's what you point to earlier. That's where you get the the same kind of vibes that you could get in some of the Adam McKay movies like The Big Short. Um, it's it's a movie about you know of course, establishment and value and just kind of beliefs and principles that may be outdated they may still have merit but regardless they're just so kind of deeply entrenched that people won't look left they won't look right 
and they're prepared to toss a whole bunch of people and a whole range of possibilities aside for that and obviously like the the metaphorical value of that and how you can kind of apply that to society at large brings a whole lot more to this movie um stuff that you don't have to think about it's just it's it doesn't have to be the thing that you come out thinking about moneyball thinking about the movie or thinking about any of this but i think like in terms of this becoming the movie it is and being just as smart as it is because it's one thing having like oh this is this is built on a a particularly kind of intelligent approach to building a team and trying to do something that's one thing but that doesn't make for a good movie that doesn't make for a smart movie i think they found a way in and the way the dialogue is shaped and the way to structure the movie and those scenes with the scouts early on and the kind of um, with Philip Seymour Hoffman's manager character, the kind of back and forth and tense relationships he's managing there. Like it's, it's a story of struggle against establishment, which like how many classic movies is that the core team, the core idea? Like in that regard, this doesn't have to be a baseball movie. Like this is just as comparable to, let me think, Aaron Brockovich, right? Something like that. It's the same story. It's the same story when you boil down to, okay, well, what are we watching this person rail against? And I mean, that is one of the the truest kind of tropes of Hollywood cinema. And they managed to bring that in with something that is very modern in terms of the approach to how the baseball movie is made. I mean, is there another movie, even something incredibly niche that either of you know of, that's really about analytics of baseball? No, I... I... I really, I'm sure there's docs. I'm sure there's plenty yeah, of docs, but yeah. in terms in terms of fiction, there will I'm be. Guessing no. I can safely say that. Uh, where we are today, one thing that was interesting to me rewatching this is that where the Oakland A's were in 2002, going against the grain and innovating like they were, uh, now everybody's doing it, and the haves also have access to this line of thinking and this type of analytics and they're hiring the the people that the A's would have hired 18 years ago. So now there's almost kind of a reverse standpoint that Darth Vader is using analytics now and the uh, the haves are becoming evil by using this. So it's very interesting. I think of the Houston Astros when I, I think of this example, they won the World Series in 2017 i believe and then basically entered into some controversy because of the way their front office was run and that they pretty much throw human beings out the window for analytics and data and so that's almost like the it this sort of system and and what they were fighting against it's now not even worth it anymore so because a team like the A's and Billy Bean no longer have the advantage and, and the bad guys do. So it was just interesting rewatching that movie in today's climate with everything that's happened with the Astros in the last three to five years. I did think when I was watching it on this occasion for, I was like, if they made this 10, 15 minutes longer, like you can make this pretty dark, <laughs> you know, in terms of its larger statement about, you know, what happens to good ideas and what happens to, um, the underdog coming up with a good idea and how it could just be swallowed up, like it ending on the kind of hopeful note of him listening to his daughter's song. Uh, I guess that's what happens when you've got a $50 million budget. You know, you can't end it the other way. But the truth of the story is a little bit more, 
I mean, look, Billy Bead's story is not fully uh, fully written yet, but yeah, the, basically what the innovation was was immediately co-opted by others. And I mean, we do we do get that hinted at because he goes uh, for the interview for the Red Sox job, right? Mm-hmm. And he's with John Henry, Liverpool and Red Sox owner. You'll I'm ne- right in saying that. That's who that character is supposed to be. Yep, you'll never walk alone. Um, right. And <laughs> like John Henry says to him, oh, you know, we'll do that and we'll do that with the money. Like it is pointing to what comes next, but the movie still decides to let you leave it on. A, oh, you know, what a fun, what a fun story that is that they got all those kind of guys off the scrap heap and they made it work and they didn't win it all. Sure. But they got really close and, you know, there's something sustainable there. It's like, yeah, so sustainable that everyone else is doing it. And the likes of the Red Sox and the Yankees will do it better than anyone now because they also have the money to show it. Copycat. I league. mean, to get to, yeah, that's which it's it's everything. Yep. It's just society. That is that is how it works. You know, you can't just come up with a good idea and then be like, I fixed it. I fixed it forever because the people with money will go, yeah, you fixed it. You've made things more efficient for us. You know, and now we can throw more money at it and get more out of that money. So thank you. Um, to I guess to pivot to some of the actual baseball elements in terms of how it's captured on screen. First of all, I mean, I mentioned, I talked about cinematography when we talked about The Natural. I think Wally Pfister, who, are either of you familiar with Wally Pfister by name? I know you're both familiar with his work, but go on. Isn't that Christopher Nolan's cinematographer? Yeah, regular, regular collaborator. Um, he has moved away from work with him more recently because Wally Pfister did direct something. It's now escaping me what that was. Uh, but Wally Pfister was Ooh, I just looked notably the DP on the Dark Knight trilogy. What movie did he direct again? Transcendence with Johnny Depp. Oh. Right, that was it. Oh. Um, but yeah, he was the DP on the Dark Knight trilogy. So he's good. He's very good. I love how this movie looks. Mm-hmm. I love a lot of the long shots. I love the kind of cavernous feel to the stadium and to... Not just the stadium, but like the bells of the arena throughout where, where you get these scenes where it's like uh, when Jonah Hill kind of rolls up when he's moving from the Indians to the A's and he first arrives at the facility and he's going and he's looking at the stadium for the outside. And then he's like in a like an underground car park, all of those kind of shots I really love. I just love the certain the lighting it captures. I think the rich kind of green of everything Oakland A's works really well. Um, in, in this regard, I think it helps the movie's kind of visual style and color palette, but I think a really well shot movie. But to get to the on-field element, I think Moneyball nails making a baseball movie in a way that few others have and few others can because they're not necessarily all based on real-life stories, so you can't just pull the real footage. And in this case, that really works to its advantage, that it's a contemporary story that you could pull real footage and you can put that in. Also, Billy Bean's I don't watch the games thing is what saves the movie. Because if you watch the games, then you've got to show like real extended uh, recreations where you've got to believe like Chris Pratt is really like a professional baseball player and stuff like that. And that's where these things fall apart. I think it's so effective. I think the montage of when they go on their 20 game winning streak is incredible. One of one of my favorite pieces of any sports movie. It gives me goosebumps and I just... I don't know, just part of it I can't quite put my finger on because it's really simple and it's really just kind of 
it's designed to play with your emotions and to give you that kind of sporting feeling but it does in a way that is true to sport to me it feels true to when something incredible is happening for your team it, it manages to capture that and i wonder does it manage to capture because it's using real footage so you're seeing real fan footage you're seeing real clips of like home runs whatever it may be throughout it i i think that's a real weapon for this movie is that when it has to lean into baseball in that way away from the business of baseball to the actual on field it can just turn to a vast kind of collection of um of archival footage and then i think the freedom of that then allowed them for the few moments where they do go and they use the actors and they set it up i say they were probably able to put more time and money into those scenes so they look even better too i don't know that either of that strike either of you are do you agree or disagree with that but for me I, I think it really works the baseball of this because they don't have to kind of do hokey recreations that don't ring true as authentic no i i, I would agree with you on all of that i didn't think about how the fact that billy bean doesn't watch the games and you know what he does he throws fits and stuff like that like that it covers it's structurally perfect yeah, it for covers the them from having to do those scenes and kind of what can bring down sports movies when you don't believe like oh this person has never touched you know a baseball in their life or you know what i mean like all that stuff um but no i think i think that's what makes it and plus you you are seeing it's not it's not the fact that you know all, like a movie like boulder boulder focuses on the team but it's really focusing on the relationship between three people, but like obviously the pitcher, the catcher, like you're seeing like a team constructed. You're trying to see like how the team wins and where it goes from being, you know, not necessarily rock bottom, but near the basement of the American League, and then rise to the top and go to the playoffs and go on this crazy winning streak and all stuff like that. Like that, it's harder to to construct in terms of that you have to focus on all these players and why he's you know, the story of trying to like find these guys that everybody's basically uh, discarding and throwing them away and not, you know, using them to their fullest advantage and all that stuff. Like it's harder to do that with a, a full ro- baseball roster, but it's when it's done right, it makes it look so easy. Obviously. They show you just enough to, to let you know it's a baseball movie with uh, specific actors while meshing that real footage perfectly, like you said. And I think th- that you don't necessarily get the authenticity from the the players on the field. I think the way they fill in around the edges with the coaches and the scouts are where, where you really feel that authenticity. I mean, the scouting room maybe was a little overdone with the age of every scout being in their 60s or above. But still, these are the conversations that these type of guys were having in those rooms. The the uh, guy that plays uh, Grady Fuson in particular is excellent in the roles as the head scout that's that's pushing back against Billy's revolution. And I think Philip Seymour Hoffman is sneaky good as Art Howe. Yeah, uh, he, there's a a stoic anger that's just bubbling beneath him <laughs> the entire time, and. And he portrays that perfectly. Art Howe, who is who he's playing, has taken issue with his portrayal in the movie, but I mm-hmm. still think it's a, an absolutely great performance. There are a lot of liberties taken. I noticed that in research um, in terms of players who were already on the team being traded for and being signed and things like that. 
So not exactly the most um, historically accurate in terms of the nuts and bolts of the baseball elements. I mean, I also read that there was a point in time where a lot of the players were going to play themselves, which would have done something different to it. But that seems to cross over more when this was going to be a Steven Soderbergh movie. The bigger issue to me, not really an issue, because you're telling the story about the guys that you feel been around the edges and how you used this particular model to to deal with you losing players that were going to the Yankees for a hundred million dollar contract, but they had Tim Hudson, Mark Mulder and Barry Zito to lead their pitching staff who were all absolutely elite starting pitchers. Mikel Tejada was an all-star shortstop. Eric Chavez uh-huh. was an all-star all-star third baseman. So they were a great team. Uh, they weren't exactly the ragtag bunch. They of weren't misfit. like the process Sixers or anything like that. Exactly. They weren't the bad news bears. They had some good players. They just needed to fill around the edges. But obviously, it's a much better movie if you focus on uh, the plucky little upstarts that uh, uh, Paul D. Podesta's Peter Brand uh, found with his computer. I don't know for sure, but I mean, I think that's that's it being so organized to me. That's that screams Aaron Sorkin. I, I no, do it's like actually, a lot of Aaron Sorkin too. It's so. actually it's it's that way in the book too that it kind of glosses over. Is it really? Yeah, it is. Uh, it kind of it definitely glosses over the fact that they have three of the best pitchers at the time on their team, um, which is kind of disappointing. But still, like it doesn't to me, it doesn't take away from you know the overall uh, message of what you know Billy B was trying to get across. And another aspect about the book that this kind of ignores is the emphasis on the MLB draft and how they apply these principles to the draft. But a bunch of people sitting in a room throwing up names on a on a magnet board isn't quite as exciting. So I, I understand why they left that part out. They need, they need the more time Brad for... Pitt chose names on magnet boards is pretty exciting, though. It's as exciting as it can get. They need more time for Chris Pat, Pratt and his soul patch before... Uh... Before he got Guardians of the Galaxy body transformation. That is very strange and more strange with time when you see him there and just his whole demeanor is very strange now that he's a big, big star. Yeah. Um, not quite as strange as Spike Jones wearing flip flops as his ex wives. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, that husband. was. Yeah. Which is just like, I, I, I don't even, I honestly don't know. I know it looked like, it literally looked Hill, like he just walks on set and just starts just starts acting. They're like, run it. Let's run the film. Let's go. Spike Jones. Like it's just, go ahead. Go on. Spike Jones cameos in critically acclaimed movies are just the weirdest but most perfect thing that I've ever seen. If this were the rewatchables and we were given the heat check award, I'm giving it to Spike Jones for mispronouncing it mispronouncing jason giambi's name <laughs> that is a that is a very funny bit um will we talk about everybody wants some briefly jordan i know hasn't hasn't had a chance to see it but it's a movie you and i have a lot of time for yeah i'll let you uh steer into that since i know it's one that you and i have discussed on a, a podcast before and both really love well i i think you have a, a deeper more personal connection to it true uh true to baseball true having played baseball and I guess that particular dynamic, and then also, I guess, the American college dynamic. Yeah. I will just say, it's a it's a movie that is... It's a movie that is, like, basically covering the kind of topics that would usually lead to some sort of raunchy, lowbrow, gross-out comedy. 
and Linklater is just smarter than that and he's better than that and he manages to make a movie that involves the same kind of subjects the same kind of conversations and yet is always pitched at a level that's way above where that ever usually goes and it has the quality that basically all his movies have of people just you know talking in uh deep philosophical ways about life but what i particularly like about it in this case is it captures it in like the perfect college way which is like he is fully aware of just how nonsensical some of these conversations are but it it rings very true to me just in terms of that stage in someone's life and the kind of you know people sitting in rooms and talking about these really big grand themes there's the the scene involving pink floyd um and wyatt russell i can't remember the names of the other two actors but they're sitting in his room and i i love that scene because it's just like it's bullshit like there's there's some truth to it but it's bullshit it's the kind of bullshit conversations that people that age have and you know some of it turns out to be profound and some of it turns out to be complete nonsense i feel like Linklater is kind of he's playing with that and is very much aware of it throughout where you get this kind of this balance between this the kind of the overly male testosterone led dynamics of a team and a team living in the same space and i guess uh their obsessions and their endless pursuit of literally any woman who walks by them you have that there and then you also have this other layer to them which is i guess it's this time of learning and discovery and they're all trying to be something they're not or maybe they're they're performing at different levels you've got um oh what's glenn powell's character who like breaks out into these really feminist rants at moments and then you've got the way the whole team behaves i think it's a really smart knowing film that is really very funny but has very little baseball and yet to me is crucial for us on this list because it captures a communal team dynamic, which I think is really important in a way that, you know, it's tied to what baseball is, it's tied to what any sport is and how it carries over from on the field and off the field. And I I think that's something interesting and is one of the ways into these movies I wish more people would take as opposed to some of the movies we talked about earlier. I think this is a way where you can make a really interesting film because it's about people and it's about their relationships and their relationships just happen to be tied to this particular sport. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's a, it's a movie that perfectly captures that time in your life when, when you're heading off to college and you realize there's no one to tell me what to do anymore. And I can kind of just do whatever I want and hang out with my friends all day and occasionally go to class. And sometimes we have to uh, make coach think we're, we're not staying up all night drinking, but it's, it's that Imama to Tambien conversation we had where what these guys want to do all day, every day is get drunk and talk to girls and hook up with girls. And, but it accomplishes that in a different way in the sense that it's that, what I said that major league does so effectively is it brings together a diverse group of individuals with different personalities. It's, it's almost like they're stereotypes, but they're not stereotypes. And a baseball team is just a vessel to tell, tell their story and get them together. One thing I love about this movie is just the cast. I think it's just a likable group of people that even when they're being uh, douchebags, they're just, so fun to watch glenn powell who who shouted out as finn is probably my favorite performance in the movie he's he's whatever he needs to be in the moment to suit his interests 
or get him into the bed of the girl that he's talking to at that particular time. He's the smartest guy in the room. Exactly. And he knows it, and he plays it to his advantage in whatever the setting is. Exactly. You've got Blake Jenner as the all-American guy who's kind of the, the, I guess he's like the, the person that the audience views everything through. He's kind of our, our grounding place in the movie. Blinklater has called this his spiritual sequel to Days and Confused, and I think that's definitely true. Like you said, this is a hangout movie. This is a movie where people are in rooms, sometimes having interesting conversations, sometimes having douchey conversations, sometimes having bullshit conversations. But it's still something you can't look away from. And incredibly well-paced, a movie that's less than two hours, which might kind of uh, drag on in the mindless comedy sense but it's it doesn't feel that way at all we've got the the love story element wrapped in even though as we get to the end of this we know that's doomed to fail it's just a a joyous movie to watch and i jordan i know you haven't seen it so don't want to uh ramble on too long but it's something that i think you, you should definitely watch if you like baseball movies if you like Linklater movies or if you just like smiling Jordan will like this movie. One thing I will add, all-time soundtrack. It's like, it's it's an all-time soundtrack. Uh, you could watch this movie and look, there will be people who this movie isn't for, who will be like, hey, there's no plot and it's not doing this or that. It's Sure, if, if that's your response to it, that's fine. And I won't argue with you, but you're looking for the wrong thing is essentially, I mean, one, I would guess you probably haven't seen a Linklater movie or if you have, you didn't like it. Uh, but it's it's it gets at things below the surface rather than being we need to get our story from point a to point b and this is our protagonist's journey Mm -hmm. but even if that was your case that was i guess the kind of issue you uh you encountered while watching it you could sit back and just like put your feet up for two hours and listen to the music of this movie and just have a great time really can't think of many soundtracks better in recent years than this one it's unfortunate uh how little seen this movie was. I think it, it it had a little bit of a second life on streaming among uh baseball writers of a certain age. Uh this is a very popular movie among the the baseball writers that I follow on, on Twitter, which I guess not representative of, of a whole lot, but I will say that it did land with the with a baseball uh type person around my age into their, you know, early forties. We're probably at the point we're going to wrap up now, but I want to impromptu put us all on the spot a little with this. We've all seen quite a few baseball movies for for this exercise. We've talked about them, we've considered them, we've digested them. So if we were to do a quick fire top three, personal top three for your favorite baseball movies, what would that look like? We'll start with you, Jordan. Top three... Um, in no order. No, in order. In order? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not letting you off this. On the other podcasts we do, you get away with this. Stuff. You're not getting away with it here. <laughs> I think I go one, Moneyball. Two, I would go natural just because, I mean, there are, I have problems with it, but the, it is such a very time, or not timeless, but it's like, some of the stuff that features in it, even though it has a lot of lightning, um, it, it's it's just referenced 
to like infinity at this point where you know everybody recreates the home run the iconic nature speaks to you does it a little bit yeah i mean it i it, like when we were talking about how it, it compared to feel the dreams it's, it feels more earned in terms of what kind of story they're telling um where would i go next i might go feel the dreams what what happened here well i i, I agree <laughs> that it's a very this is your personal choice but i i do this isn't where i thought you were going based on things you were saying well, I I agree that it's a very. I mean, it's not it's not tied to any human laws of physics whatsoever. I just the laws of what a movie is. That, George is listening all... to his heart, and that's fine. Yeah, I I routinely visited by the ghost of Ray Liotta and those Chantix commercials, and uh, you know. <laughs> I, all right, you're not going back on the podcast anymore. <laughs> that's okay. We had, we did all of this. I did all my ranting and the natural. Well, actually, no, 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 no. I take it back. I take it back. I think I would take. No, don't take it back. Too. No, I would take a. I would take a documentary. Uh, okay. Well, either it would either be Catching Hell or Screwball, one of the two, because they're very just fascinating. And I just find the Steve Barman thing very fascinating in the fact that he just literally was exiled <laughs> out of society just because he flubbed a ball. Uh, <laughs> As a Brewers fan, I bet you find that interesting. A little bit, a little bit. (laughs) Shot him for it. Is that that right? That still leaves Field of Dreams in your top five. Okay, Andrew, uh, your top three. Going into this, I had a top three that has not changed. Uh, Bull Durham, everybody wants some Moneyball in that order. Uh, We have the same three movies in our top three, just in a different order. I would go Moneyball 1. Bull Durham 2, everybody wants some tree. There we go. Adam? Do you want some reflection? I Yeah, I've, I feel like... Do you, do you need the non-baseball reflection on this exercise, having started with, you know, trying to set me up with my limited understanding of all of this? Adam, this was quite an undertaking for all of us, I'll say. We watched a lot of movies, we talked about a lot of movies, we considered a lot of movies. Trying to do that in a timely manner is difficult, uh, the watching and the talking about. And as as you noted, at a certain point, there can't be any more baseball that can go into your brain. You're just done, and there is that point of diminishing returns. So I wanted to say thank you for going on this journey with me. It's a sport. It's okay. We're as long as the natural now. Wow. <laughs> we've, we've gone there. Uh, it was a great exercise. I, I think we learned a lot about ourselves. We learned a lot about America uh, and we learned a lot about yeah. baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the two out of those three things. Well, not all for the better. One day, Adam, you'll once <laughs> there are no more pandemics or certain leadership. Yeah. Aspects. Let's just put that on the long finger. Andrew. <laughs> you'll, you'll, uh, you'll come to America. I'll take you to a baseball game and then, then we'll learn more about baseball. I'm I'm excited for that day. Uh, okay, we will be back next week, probably for an equally long podcast episode. Certainly for a podcast episode that is also about sports. We're going to talk about basketball. Um, we will again have a guest joining us to do that. It'll very much mirror, I think, the structure of what we've 
what we've done here. I had a list of movies on my phone because I didn't want to do what I did last week where I then forgot to give people in advance the movies to watch. But my phone won't unlock for me, so I can't give you the exact list. Off the top of my head, and add any in here if I'm forgetting, because I think our conversation will include some of Hoop Dreams, White Man Can't Jump, He Got Game, Love and Basketball, Hoosiers. Juana Man? No. (laughs) Juana Man is arguably the best film. What way does that argument go? That's a J.J. Abrams line from one of the uh, Andy Samberg documentaries about the Tour de France. It's a great, it's a great bit. I'll send you that clip. I've seen, I've seen that uh, Tour de Pharmacy. That's a really deep cut. That is to just have that to hand like that. Your brain works. Such a great bit. Me and Jordan will just say that to each other randomly. Other Jordan, but uh, um, what other ones am I forgetting? I don't. Semi pro, I love semi pro. Space Jam, oh hell yeah! They'll, they'll come way into it. Uh, there's others I'm not getting to, but we will. Oh, I know one that we may try to because I believe it's available. We'll look into the new Ben Affleck thing. Oh, the way back. There's a new film out, The Way Back. Maybe we'll look into that. But we'll have these conversations off mic. <laughs> but that's just to give you some some kind of guide this week because last week I said I'd give you a guide and then I just didn't. So if you want to do some watching, there are some of the basketball movies. Next week, I'll be much more qualified. I will know what I'm talking about. Maybe I'll be more indignant as a result. Who knows? I don't know if there's lightning involved in any of these movies we're going to watch. Uh, I don't know if there's like a court filled with dead basketball players. Come back next week, though, and we'll find out together. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. You can follow us on face on Twitter or like us on Facebook at Captured and Celluloid. And we'll be back to you all very soon. Thanks as always to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. I won't hold your field of dreams love against you. And thank you, Andrew. Boys, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes it rains. 